Hello there, Comic Clan, and welcome to Comics to the Cross, the greatest streamers you've never heard of. I, of course, am one of your hosts for today, Cross, along with my co-host Nitro, who is just above me. What up? And how's we it have, going, everybody? We, of course, are joined by a very special <clears throat> guest today, uh, Ringo Award-nominated writer, comic creator, an all-around awesome dude. David Peppos is here with us today. He is joining us and. This has been a long time coming, this interview, and yes. <laughs> thank you for your changing schedule with this. With We were yes, meant to do this last so week, much. and my whole household came down with everything that it could have possibly happened, so we had to change it, so thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad your family's on the mend, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk some comics with you uh, this this beautiful Sunday. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man, of course. We were, we're so excited and so glad to have you on the show. And for the Comic Clan, for everyone that's uh, listening in, obviously, you know, just two weeks ago we did our Indie Comic Book Club and got to delve into Spencer and Locke, um, a book that has been on my list for a long time to delve into um, and to jump into, one that I've been very excited to check out, and it did not disappoint. So it's kind of an honour to get to sit down and talk with, you know, the, the creative mind behind Spencer and Locke and just talk comics with you and get to delve into your creative process a little bit and some of the other great work you've put out there. Thank you. Uh, the the honour's all mine, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, to to talk about, uh, I guess, my, my process as, a, as it were. Um, uh, however haphazard and slapdash that it might wind up being in practice. <laughs> hey, no problem at all. Some of the best stuff comes out uh, working in that sort of way. <laughs> but thank you for everyone who has joined us today. Looks like we've got a few people popping off in chat already. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let me just post a little couple of things in chat, which can see it in our title you can pull these up at any time just places to find david online at his website his newsletter on social media as well as links to some of the comics we will be talking about today you can click on those at any time and um, to delve into some of this stuff and get to know his work a little bit better and um, but of course we're going to kick off with just a little bit of news today and uh, just to kind of get Do into it. you know the way of things and the major thing to talk about um, I think that the whole comic book community has kind of been talking about is obviously Marvel's Loki show that dropped on Friday mm -hmm. on Disney Plus. I think pretty much every place I've went that talks about comics or superheroes or anything has been delving into theories of what is coming on Loki. From Agent Carter being in the background of one of the shots to are we going to see uh, Kang the Conqueror make his appearance in the show to a million other things out there that people are starting to throw at the wall so general what were your thoughts then this is the third show that we've had come to disney plus from marvel what were your thoughts on loki i go i can I really, go first oh yeah go ahead please yes uh, um so i really liked it uh i thought it was really cool i think obviously loki is one of the most fleshed out villains in the marvel universe i think um so I think they even flesh him out more. Like that one conversation that Owen Wilson's character had with him, Morbius, I think, mm -hmm. in that room where he was basically breaking down his, um, you know, his, his, you know, why he is the why he is the way that he is, and if he likes killing people or whatnot. Um, I thought that entire conversation tracked out over the series of fights and corridor mishaps and everything. I thought that was awesome. 
Um, I think they shot down a, a lot of the rumors that had already started, like a Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm excited to see what's coming next. I, I really dug it. Um, I think, you know, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of the, one of the critiques that sometimes people throw at, at, at the Marvel movies or the Marvel shows is at this point, it's kind of hard to, for it to be accessible. And I think this, uh, this pilot, um, or this first episode, I should say, um, it really, it was a fun way of kind of laying out all the exposition you need to know what Loki's past is and kind of who, what he is, what he's like as a character. Because I think there are a lot of people who, who, you know, I'm sure Thor Ragnarok notwithstanding, I think Thor is probably like the least explored character of that kind of, um, that Marvel trinity, so to speak. A lot of people know Iron Man, a lot of people know Cap, they've crossed over a few more times. Um, And so if you didn't watch Thor Ragnarok, and you know or you're not familiar you didn't see the first two thor movies because you weren't interested um this is a good way to like bring somebody up to speed but in a way that i thought was um kind of additive to the mix it didn't Mm -hmm. just feel like a wikipedia dump uh which i thought was really cool and really interesting i'm very curious to see how they 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 deal with the, the the villain of the piece um, whether or not it's uh, well, I won't even spoil uh, for those who haven't watched it. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I saw an article comparing Loki to uh, they called him the Daffy Duck of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who you know he can't win. Um, that his biggest impact is just taking his licks, or you know the 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 Bugs Bunnies of the Marvel Universe. And now we get to see Daffy uh, get his due. And yeah. um, as, as a long time. Uh, Daffy fan. Um, uh, I was really, I, I love that, uh, that, that analogy. And so I'm really excited to see where the show goes. It's yeah, funny yeah. you say that. I saw somebody online refer to him as he's the jobber of the MCU for our wrestling fans. I was like, dude, that's, that's actually really accurate. Yeah, yeah. This all powerful God of mischief, like constantly gets his ass kicked, like yeah, nonstop yeah. during the MCU. And it's like, it's, it was a really interesting take on Loki because obviously, like we've kind of gotten to know Loki so far, all the way up to like his death in Infinity War. You know, spoilers for a like was a four year old movie at this point. Um, <laughs> how dare you? I know. How dare I? Um, but like getting to delve back to like this is the Loki that like was at the end of Avengers, like when you see him disappear with the Tesseract. So like this one hasn't like went through like the antihero redemption arc of like Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. and stuff. This is still full blown. <laughs> You know, I am burdened with glorious purpose, Loki. Yeah. This is still the full blow, and I deserve to be king because I do. I was mm-hmm. born for this, and but it was a really interesting direction to take him. And the interesting thing I found about it was that we still don't fully know where his head is at, mm-hmm. because obviously, like when he there's a little jailbreak bit when he tries to escape and he starts going hunting for the Tesseract. And we get the cool little scene of like where he, you know, goes to the guy that took the Tesseract and he's just got a drawer full of infinity stones. Yeah. And like and they make the joke of like these are just paperweights <laughs> like round the office now and like he starts to realise these are not the most powerful thing. There's something even more powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, and it then goes to like him starting to realise like maybe I do need to go along with this, maybe I should work with him and work with the T V A and But you're also kinda like has he had that revelation moment or is this his way to get you know because he realized the tva is more powerful than the infinity stones is Mm -hmm. this his way to get to an even greater power than what he was seeking at that time yeah you know so it's like i'm there's almost still that kind of like 
is he becoming that hero again, that anti-hero-esque character, that, or is he just going full villain again, looking for the next power trip? You know, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out, I think, especially with everything else that was hinted at during the show, because there's, there's so many things that they hint at in here, but I'm, I'm all in for yeah. it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we, we try to find, like, we, we like to believe that there's good in everyone, even, like, the really quote-unquote bad people like that we see so i i thought the part where you know no Mor- morbius mobius mobius there we go sorry is is drilling him with like do you like to kill people and he keeps asking him the same question and it finally gets to the part where he's like no i don't like killing people it's just that's what i feel like i have to do to basically create this illusion of power i was like that was a really cool like just expansion yeah. of his character i thought that was really cool no, absolutely. I think they definitely delve into his character really, really well in this, and I'm really excited to see. And then, obviously, like we said, we're not going to kind of mention the big reveal at the end of who the the person he's getting brought in to help with is, the mm-hmm. villain, you know, quote-unquote, for the piece is. Hey, thank you so much, Ads, for that host. We appreciate it. Um, But, yeah, like, it's... We're not going to reveal who that is, but, like, even that in itself is like, okay, that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. That's going to be like, how is that going to play out going forward? You know. Yeah. Assuming they actually go through with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that. I, 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 I'm, I'm, part of me is a little skeptical they're even going to go through with it. That it's that it might not be a misdirect for somebody else. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing. It's like that. It's like, oh well, the hinted at it. I hope it's probably not going to be. And then it's like, yeah, because they've not misdirected us at all in these Disney Plus shows yet. You know. Like, where it's <laughs> not at like all. one division was nothing but misdirection. Like, hey, we're doing a multiverse. No, we're not. Yeah. Hey, the devil's in it. No, he's not. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, Quicksilver. No, he's not. He's Ralph Boner. <laughs> it's like, wow, you literally set up a like, whole really? season Boner it's joke. The biggest troll ever. <laughs> um, But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with this. And from what Kevin Feige says, this show's going to link in like even more to the mcu than the other shows which makes sense because all they did in this first episode was literally talk about like you know the multiverse and the sacred timeline and how if the timelines you know split and create a multiverse again it's going to create a war it's going to be madness no we're not hinting at anything what do you mean (laughs) we've got nothing with multiverse and madness in it coming up what are you talking about you know (laughs) It's like, so, yeah, it's probably going to have a little bit of an influence on uh, the upcoming Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness, and uh, the upcoming Spider-Man movie, and, you know, whatever they do with Wanda, now that WandaVision's done, because she's linked into it, and everything else Mm -hmm. that's been hinted at that's part of the multiverse. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds, so I think I'm definitely excited for this season. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Like, I was watching it with uh, my wife the other night. Um, so it's cool seeing it from a perspective of not really a huge comic book fan. And she's like, I feel like they've done, like, everyone has done time travel, the time travel thing, a lot. So I hope they make this interesting. And I, I don't know. I just, judging from the first episode, I think they're going to go in some crazy places. And I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I think... The interesting thing with the time travel thing, now that you mention it, is I've seen an article talking about it, and like, because everyone was asking, like, people were asking questions about the, the time travel stuff, and mm-hmm. like, you know, Loki created a new like branch of the timeline which he was captured for. Like, he was never meant to escape with the Tesseract. 
and people kept asking like well what about when at the end of Endgame when Captain America just decides I'm going to stay in the past with Peggy mm-hmm. was he captured was he taken away and this stuff because like how does the time travel side of things work and yeah. basically they came out and said like how time travel is described in Endgame doesn't mean is how time travel works that's just how these characters understand it oh uh, okay so it's like it's basically like a this is probably not going to be the end game style of time travel and that's okay that's how they understood it and coped with it but this is this is how time travel really works in the marvel universe yeah. this is back to the future yeah the actual back to the future way it looks like you know. yeah but um <clears throat> i was gonna bake my noodle for a little while <laughs> i know i'm like, too dumb to have this conversation right now mm. <laughs> I think I will always be too dumb to have this conversation. To be completely yes. honest, like I, I'm still, I still like. How many the years? Endgame is confusing enough. Yeah, like how many years are we on from Endgame, and I still don't totally understand how yeah, that works. It's like, oh, it creates, I, a, I, it creates a new timeline, and I'm like, yeah, but surely that timeline still exists, and like these well, different timelines are still are just there now. It's like. It, I, I still yeah. don't get it. I still like this makes no sense. I understand you've basically said words to me, and I meant to just go, okay. About five <laughs> seconds into Ancient One's conversation with Bruce Banner, I I I lost it. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea what she's talking about. The minimum, there's 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 two branch timelines because Mjolnir got taken from Asgard circa mm-hmm. 2012, I guess, and then Thanos just went missing in like 2016. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm like I don't they 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 set it up and then they let those two things go and so I hope Loki cleans that up I hope yeah. Loki addresses that yeah I'm like they're, they're just been yeah, left yeah they have just been left hanging there like yeah we're not going to address those and like they're like yeah. everybody will forget about them eventually like, yeah and, and 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 if Loki if Loki is doing time surviving the avengers need to do some time too i'm very curious we're gonna see now we'll see how the show goes but yeah. if they want to address some of these things i'm gonna be uh, I'll, I'll be a little disappointed i'm not gonna lie yeah yeah i mean like this is your perfect chance to address some of those stuff like you don't even need to give like this great explanation just give me something just yeah. something you know something. <laughs> but, but it's going to be interesting to see it's going to be interesting to kind of to check out what they do with this and the time travel and and I'm in I'm I'm all in for it like I loved yeah. the the first episode Tom Hiddleston is just he's phenomenal as always as Loki yeah. he's that this is his role I mean the guy took yeah. a role that was let's be honest wasn't really meant to do much past the first Avengers movie and is somehow still doing it like you know almost ten years later past that because that was like he was going to be the big bad for Avengers and you know that's where the cutoff was meant to be like we're really not going to touch on him too much or maybe be in the background of the thor movies and then yeah and everyone just popped off with how much they loved him and it's like okay we need to write loki and things now we need to yeah. keep him getting involved and it's like okay and here we go he's got his own series now so he's such a good actor though um, and i was again watching him with with owen wilson just that that conversation piece just really stuck out to me in that show yeah and can that, i just can i just say a massive like shout out to how awesome owen wilson is in this show I like wow when they like announced he was going to be in it. It's one of those things. I like this could either go really well or really badly, and I it could have been one of the worst miscastings ever. And yeah. he just he he rocked it. Owen Wilson just mm-hmm. done amazing in it. And I'm like, it. 
I'd, I'm excited to see Mobius like going forward and what they do with him, and like I'd love to see him stick around doing stuff. Now he was he was awesome. Yeah, just a nonchalantness with the way uh, which with how he was talking to Loki was freaking hilarious. He was basically just smacking him around. It was hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, just to address chat there, it's like uh, thank you, Nitro, for doing that shout out for our friend Loxley. If you are listening and here on Twitch and aren't following our friend on his channel. Click that link and go and check out Locke said He actually had his first solo stream last night where he hit over 50 followers, so he is on the path to being a Twitch affiliate, so go and check him out. Right. Ads, you need to stop putting fights in for the superhero square goal. You should have deemed another one. <laughs> <laughs> Thor for DC and Thor for Mark. Let me break this down before I forget. So David, you're probably not seeing it on here, but like on our Twitch channel we have like point redemptions. We do a superhero square goal. We call oh, it, and cool. it's basically like a, we set up like a seven-fight match card of like yeah. um, heroes to face off with each other, and we've got a point redemption of like people can, once you earn enough points on the channel, you can redeem to book a fight to put on it, like something yeah. you want to see. And one of our viewers who's been here since like day one adds has like redeemed the fight card worth of fights plus. He's used it like all his points, and he's just redeemed another one. And it's like, dude, I'm literally gonna have to split your fights between two cards at this point. Nice. This is an ad sponsored swear go. Yeah, pretty much. It's like he has literally redeemed every channel <clears throat> point he has made to making fights. It's like, yeah, but this one needs to be done. I'm like, you say that, but you've already booked like seven, eight fights already. So, like, so there's literally gonna be a show just of his stuff. What's, what 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 do what do they book? Uh, so this one he booked was Thor from the Marvel Universe versus Thor from the DC Universe. So a Thor v Thor match. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I did not know Thor existed in the DC Universe. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's, it's not one of the gods set they usually touch on because DC usually focuses a lot more on the Greek gods uh, yeah. because of Wonder Woman and stuff. But the, the Asgardians are still there. Um, so I need to do a little research. I don't know that much about the Asgardian gods in DC and what that Thor's even kind of like. So yeah, I feel like I feel like I, I've seen him like once in a DC book, and I don't even remember. I assume it'd be Wonder Woman, but I yeah, I can't even think about what the DC Thor looks like. <clears throat> I've got to look it up now. I got to look it up. Yeah, I've got to look it up. I, I can't even <laughs> tell you what he looked like in DC or anything like that. It's like you see Thor in comics, and I'll just think of Marvel. So. But we will add it to the fight card, and I think we pretty much do have a seven-match fight card that's just fights from Ad, so that will be a special we'll be doing at some point in the near future. Um, to be honest, he looks like Gimli from Lord of the Rings in a, in a Thor helmet. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm weirdly okay with that. I'm weirdly okay with that. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's pretty much everything on the Loki show. If you've not checked it out yet, we I think we all thoroughly recommend to go and check it out. It's on Disney+. Plus and just episode one has dropped so you've got the rest of the season coming ahead so get caught up quickly and you know be ready for it um i do want to give a special shout out as we're talking shows because i finally managed to finish the show um it came out a couple of weeks ago and it's a special shout out to a book that's on our indie book club list that we're going to be doing at some point in the near future um is a show sweet tooth on netflix based on sweet tooth by jeff lemire uh, probably one of my favourite writers of all time who, like Jeff Lemire pick up any book of his and you're pretty much guaranteed a good time 
um, and I think they did a phenomenal job with the show on Netflix. If you've not checked it out on Netflix, they they did a great job with it and adapting the comic and really helping you just delve into this phenomenal world of post-apocalyptic hybrids and I'm not going to lie, viruses that were a little bit hitting too close to home <laughs> watching that <laughs> show. Um, watching these people walk around and people are coughing and masking themselves and I'm like, okay, that's a little too close to home right now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it was. I thought it was terrific. I mean, I um, I was saying to my partner when we were watching it, I told her, uh, honestly, I'm a little I, I I'm a little scared for why the last man. Uh, mm. Because I almost feel like Sweet Tooth kind of beat that whole show to the punch. Mm. I think in a really profound way. Um, it's it's different than the source material. I think in, in a big way, uh, particularly yeah. you know visuals, just because uh, the way that the, the the Jeff Lemire draws is like it's it's almost like outsider art. Like it's very yeah. it's an acquired taste, and and there's a there's that feeling of kind of creepiness and foreboding. Yeah, and, absolutely. And the, the characters in the source material have a lot harsher of an edge uh pretty much from top to bottom this they kind of i you know sanding it down makes it sound like a bad thing mm-hmm. but i think they made it uh much more palatable to a wider audience and um and made it just really endearing um, yeah you know, for a post-apocalyptic story um it was endearing and um i i loved it no, no pun uh, intended yeah, <laughs> you're right. Um, <laughs> no, it was. Um, I, I do. I think that the ending came maybe a little abruptly. Sure, and I, I do think that's something that's a little systemic in a lot of um, comic book TV shows. Mm. Um, just, you know, everybody's ironing out the pacing a little bit. But um, I thought it was terrific. I thought um, uh, the actor who played Gus was fantastic. Yeah, he was um, great. Really kind of stole the show, uh, I think, in a big way, which good for him. I think he's a, a highly underrated actor um, with a real versatility that I think a lot of people don't get. And um, yeah, I really, I, I enjoyed it. And honestly, um, you know, my only regret is that season two hasn't been announced yet. Yeah. But uh, I would hope, especially after Jupiter's Legacy, that um, that Netflix would do the right thing and uh, and, and greenlight season two for Sweet Tooth immediately. So, yeah, uh, they they definitely need to. They definitely need to green like Sweet Tooth season two, and the show was just phenomenal to watch. and And I love the fact that yeah, they did make changes to the comic, they did make changes to the source material, which you're always going to get and stuff like this. But like you sure. said, like these these characters were so enjoyable. Like I enjoyed going on the journey, like going with Gus and going with you know Big Man and going with Bear and like as these characters all start to come together as the show goes on, you're like you you feel like you're part of this little family traveling with them and. And then you've also yeah. got the other stories that are happening over here, and you're seeing like little connections being made and little things kind of fitting. You know, like these characters, you you know, you've been watching their story separately, and you realize, oh, they kind of cross paths at this point, and like, oh, that's really cool. And it, there's yeah. different little things, or just like this world, they make it, they invest you in every story, but also they don't expose too much. They make you want to keep watching to see what happens next. You know, yeah. and yeah. I I'm excited for a season two and. You know, I hope it doesn't go the way of Jupiter's Legacy, um, which, you know, obviously got cancelled. And, you know, in all honesty, I understand why that show was cancelled. Because I think I'd said it to people in our Discord when we were chatting. was like, I, I enjoyed half that show. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Like, I really enjoyed, like, the flashback scenes and seeing how they 
you know, came to be and getting their powers, but like the actual present day stuff, I literally feel like I watched like eight episodes of nothing happening mm. in the present day. Like it, you could have done that in like three episodes and done some more. Like I felt like nothing was taking place, and yeah. it's like you have to be hardcore invested at that point to want to see more of it. Most people probably tuned out at that point, which is sad because it did have potential and it did have some legs under it to do something. Um. But for me, Sweet Tooth just uh, hit you know the nail on the head. It was just perfect, and I like I I'm well invested to see more of these characters. You know, so yeah, full shout out to Netflix and their take on Sweet Tooth. If you've got Netflix and haven't checked out Sweet Tooth yet, go and check out the show for yourself. Um, and at some point in the near future, we'll definitely be covering the comic on the show. <coughs> Excuse me. Alright, um, I don't think there was any other vast pieces of news. Did you know of anything or think of anything, Nitro? Or... No, I think those were the main things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we covered it. <clears throat> cool, then we are going to transition over into our actual interview portion of the podcast today. Uh, just before we delve in, a uh, massive shout out to our sponsor, Gamer Grind Cool, the number one coffee for gamers, hashtag on that grind. And they've been our sponsors pretty much since day one of the launch of the podcast. Um, you'll see the link there in chat. Go and get yourself some amazing coffee. Um, use comics in the cross at checkout to save yourself 5%. And also helps kick a little bit of money to keep the podcast going and help out the show. Um, but you will not be disappointed by their coffee. I've been drinking it pretty much, you know, almost exclusively for like a year. And I'm pretty happy with it. Um, all right. Housekeeping out the road. <laughs> we, of course, as we said at the start, are joined by a very special guest today who we are so excited to have on the show, uh, David Peppos. We are talking about uh, Spencer and Locke, which, of course, we did on the show a couple of weeks ago when we dove into. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you've already got a little look at that and hopefully went and picked it up for yourself. Um, if you've not, definitely still a chance. Maybe delving into some Scouts Honor, the series that wrapped up, issue 5 came out a few weeks ago now, I want to say three weeks ago. Just wrapped up, I think two or three weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, I want to say about three weeks ago, uh, which well worth checking out. It was a month ago, it was a month ago uh, yesterday. A month ago already? Hey, Co-op Trio Podcast coming in with that raid of six people, thank you so much. Welcome on in, Raiders. We appreciate you coming in. Uh, Locke, can you do a shout-out for Co-op Trio for us? Uh, for anyone who is brand new to us that don't know who we are, who's just coming in for this, uh, we are Comics in the Cross, the greatest streamers you have never heard of, and we are burdened with glorious... Uh, I completely forgot the word. Dang, I completely ruined that. <laughs> glorious purpose. There we go. I literally blanked on that. We were literally just talking low-key, and I blanked on that phrasing. That's hilarious. I'm going to go sit in the corner now. <laughs> Geek card revoked. Time out, mister. Time out. Geek card revoked. Um, we, of course, are a podcast here on Sundays, which you are now here and part of for our very special podcast, as well as doing some variety streams throughout the week. On Monday nights, I play through some storyline games, and my co-host Nitro up in the corner there on Tuesday nights does a lot of artwork. Um, if you're interested in seeing some amazing original artwork, come and check out his streams on Tuesdays. We are so welcome to have you here. So glad that you decided to... 
Lock steady, glorious porpoise. Yes, we are burdened I with glorious porpoise. We are burdened with glorious porpoise at this show. So many glorious porpoises. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you everyone for popping in. We of course are just about to you're here just in time. We are literally just about to kick off our interview portion of the podcast. We are joined by Mr. David Peppos, the Ringo Award nominee, comic writer and creator. Um, if you were here a few weeks ago, as I said, we were talking um, Spencer and Locke, delving into that world. Um, and you got to delve into that with us, as well as Scouts of Honor, which we've mentioned, another phenomenal comic that just wrapped a month ago, as David had said. I can't believe that was a month ago already that that came out. That's wow. crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I, f- I literally feel like it's not been that long since I went and picked up issue five. Um, and then, of course, we're going to be delving into some other works of his. Um, the OZ, his most recent one that has just dropped, um, issue one of that on awesome. their Kickstarter, which I am so excited to pick up. Yeah. Um, if for nothing else, go to their Kickstarter page for that and watch the video telling you what the comic is about. I'm like, watch that video and you're sold. Like, I literally watched that and I'm like, okay, I'm picking this up. Yeah. This, is, this has to be bought because I need to know what happens. Because we'll be uh, returning to Kickstarter very soon with, uh, with our double-sized issue two. Nice. There you go. So here's your chance. Get over to the Kickstarter for that and pick up issue one and keep an eye out for issue two dropping, which um, if it's, you know, if issue one holds up as good as the video kind of sells it as, it's going to be phenomenal. And if issue two holds up to that as well, I can only imagine how great it's going to be. It's going to be definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll t- all I'll say is issue one's the quiet issue. Uh, uh-huh. Issue two, uh, we really crank up the volume. In a big way. I tend to think uh, a theme in your comments because you told me that as well when I like when I said I tweeted out how good I enjoyed like the first issue of Scouts Honor. You're like, oh, that's a quiet one. This all kicks off. And the first one's always the quietest. And uh, he wasn't lying. Full disclosure, he was not lying. After issue one, that comic kicks off in a direction you just don't expect with all this stuff. I'm like, okay, this is where we're going. Awesome. <laughs> Are we doing this? <laughs> Well, uh, no, I'm excited to talk about all these things. I will say, uh, you know, I feel like we, we missed an opportunity. We really should have called this episode uh, Burdened with Glorious Peppos. Uh, and we retitle it. I do like it. When that goes up 100%, when that goes up on um, our audio podcast and the links and it goes up on YouTube, that is 100% the title yes. of this episode. I cannot believe I did not think of that. I am ashamed <laughs> that that did not come up to think of. That's amazing. No, uh, you see enough uh, typos of your last name on, <laughs> on, on, on social media and uh, it sticks with you. Um, but no, I'm excited to talk about uh, all my books uh, from Spencer and Locke to Scouts Honor to OZ and going to the chapel and anything else you want to talk about. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to be here. I'm thrilled to talk about the books. And uh, thank you guys again yeah, for uh, all the support that you've, you've given my work. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And as I kind of said to you before we came on air, and I'm like, you know, we we, we don't we're generally not people that blow smoke up people's asses. Like we don't yeah. shout out stuff and say, oh, this is amazing, just because we're talking yeah. to someone, or just like we talk to people that whose work we really and thoroughly, totally enjoy, and that we honestly think, hey, this is an amazing book. You should check it out. You know, that's yeah. part of indie comic book club. Is you know that we do is like we're just really delving into the world of indie comics a bit more. We grew up as Marvel and DC fans and there's this yep. whole world of indie stuff out there and with really good, really, really good stories, you know? And it's like, and if we don't, if we don't enjoy something that we're reading, we honestly give our critiques on it. And like, this is something like, this is an issue I've got with this. And, mm-hmm. um, and Spencer and Locke was like this phenomenal story to read. And, you know, as I said it to you already, like it's honestly one of my favorite comics, like 
one of my favorite comics I've ever read. Like one hundred percent, I was so invested in that story. Um, thank you. I, you know, that book's my baby. Um, it's it's my first uh, it's my first published work, and um, it's a book that that uh, that changed my life. Uh, yeah. I think in a, in a really big and noticeable way, and so. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's really the culmination of a long time. You know, we talked a little bit earlier before we started recording, um, you know, you were asking, well, how'd you get involved in this? And I feel like I've been kind of on the outskirts of the comics industry for um, since 2008. Um, I got my start as a DC Comics intern uh, when I graduated college. And so I worked on like Final Crisis and Batman R.I.P. and, and um, uh, Green Lantern Secret Origin. So no, no, but, uh, nothing big at all then, nothing no. nothing major. Nothing we would know. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, but I spent a lot of time kind of saying, I want to be involved in this industry, and I have no idea in what capacity. Mm. Uh, I, I worked in comics journalism for a long time. I was the reviews editor uh, over at Newsarama uh, for about oh, a wow. decade. Um, and... Uh, you know, but at the same time, I, I grew up in the Midwest, um, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I didn't really have a whole lot of creative role models. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody who, uh, you know, made a living writing. I, I um, thought it was not for me. You know, I, I thought I, it wasn't meant for me. Mm -hmm. And it was only after kind of years of reading comics and writing about comics and at times having periods where I was frustrated with comics. I had kind of this voice in the back of my head that says, well, if you're so smart, why don't you try it? And um, Spencer and Locke kind of, that was, that was, that was really the first time that I had taken a crack at doing something a little more long form. Mm -hmm. And um, I had thought, you know, people say, write what you know. And I think it's the most misunderstood bit of writing advice that anybody can give you. Usually what people take that to mean is, oh, well, you know, I can't write a medical drama if I don't have a medical degree or a legal drama if I don't have a legal degree or like what what bit of my professional ex expertise has to get translated into a script. And that's not what they mean at all. What they mean is, you know, the emotional journey. Yeah. You know, um, what's the, the sort of universal thing? You know, for example, if you're writing um, an Archie story, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, you know, what was it like when you first learned to drive a car? Or what was it like when you first had your first kiss mm -hmm. uh, or went on your first date? Like those sorts of universal emotional journeys. Everybody has a story. It's always a different story. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but at the time I was still thinking about kind of the old way of it. And I said, well, I don't know anything about anything except comics. <laughs> and uh, I realized like maybe that's not as limiting as I thought. Yeah. So I, I, I uh, you know, I, I was a big fan of uh, classic Frank Miller. Um, his Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, was kind of the book that, like, that was the real light bulb moment for me as a kid, where I was like, oh, like, writers write these things, and artists mm -hmm. draw these things. It's not, like, by some Hallmark card by committee. Yeah. And um, I was like, what's um, what's the weirdest thing I could throw against old school Frank Miller? And uh, I went through a couple of ideas that they, they all felt very shock for shock value's sake. And I, I didn't think that would really build any long-term investment mm -hmm. um, or engagement, uh, both for the audience, but also for me as a lazy writer who, like, you need the motivation to get across the finish line. And um, when I thought of Calvin Hobbes, Bill Watterson, light bulb went off. I, you know, I... Oh. 
I thought about heat up and kind of grinning in the rain and um, and uh, he's holding a stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, well, what's that guy's home life like? What was his upbringing? Yeah. And those questions turned into that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm really glad that it spoke to you guys because um, especially having come from the comics journalism trenches, and I know, I'm sure you guys can relate to this, is, you know, you, you, you put in your time, you know, you're, you're, in the, you're in the trenches, you're in the mines, and always wonder, is this thing on? Is anybody listening? Does anybody mm-hmm. care? Um, you know, I, I would write reviews that I poured my heart and soul into, and then one comment, no comment, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so the fact that people seem to really respond to the work and respond positively, like not with like pitchforks and torches, which was the other thing I was expecting with that book. Um, the fact that people responded really positively mm-hmm. um, really blew my mind. It still blows my mind. I still feel like I'm kind of being punked uh, anytime somebody <laughs> wants to talk about my work. Um, but Spencer and Locke, I think, is um, in certain ways the riskiest book I've ever done. And I think also one of the most personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a book that I, I love selling that book. I love introducing it to, to new readers. Um, because I think there's there is something a little universal about it um, about somebody who has trauma in their past and gets beat up by the universe and still kind of gets up and does yeah. the right thing no matter yeah. how much it hurts. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like when we were reviewing it a couple weeks ago, it felt like a very personal story. Like I, I like emotionally resonated with the story. That that doesn't happen a lot when you read comics. Like. They're trying to like force an emotion or pull an emotion out of a page where when it's not there, and it right. was very very easy to emotionally connect to this book. Like, and I know I, I know Cross, you and I talked about it a couple times. There's a couple times in Spencer and Locke where I audibly made a noise, like when it was like an emotional gut punch, like especially the interaction between Spencer and Hero, mm-hmm. and and Spencer and Locke, like when Locke just gives in to his emotion his emotions. Yeah, um, it it was. It was it was really good, especially obviously I'm a dad coming from a dad perspective. It, it was really good. Well, you know, I, I I owe a lot of that to my my uh, my co-creator and collaborator on that book, um, George Santiago Jr. Um, you know, he he is such an artist's artist. Um, you know, he really he's so versatile and he's able to really wring every last drop of emotion out, out of a page. I feel like it's funny. He and I, we come from very different worlds. I grew up meat and potatoes superhero. He mm-hmm. um, uh, was was manga influenced. That was really you know, Ron the One Half, Cowboy Bebop. Um, those were his big influences. And where we kind of come together as an, as this odd couple is we both love making people cry. Mm. Um, that was sort of the, the the. I think that was like the magnetism that pulled us together. Um, is we want to make people cry, and we're both also like punishingly brutal on ourselves in terms of like what is considered good enough mm-hmm. um i think i think i'm my own worst critic and i know mm-hmm. george is worst critic um and so i think as a result you know we're, we were both really hungry we we wanted to make a splash with our first published works um yeah. you know george itself published uh, a few things but this was our our big debut in the in the direct market and uh, i i told him i said you know you go to the mat with this, I'll go to the mat with this. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, he's such a terrific collaborator. And um, I, I, uh, 
I, I've already told him that I, I plan on, on on working with him as often as I'm able, as long as often as he'll allow. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's just he's such a, a terrific collaborator that I, I cannot say enough good things about him. Yeah, yeah it's it's crazy because a lot of times the the tone of a of a of a comic or or the art of the comic doesn't match the tone of it. You know, sure. like the tone of what they're trying to put across the 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 story and everything like that. And I feel like and uh, cross. I know again we talked about this, mm-hmm. but. I feel like it, this is the perfect amalgamation of those two, that the tone from the writing and the art that matches it. It's yeah. it's, it's perfect. I mean, we've said it, it. We've said it plenty of times that uh, like a really good story can be ruined by awful artwork. Hundred percent. You know, as like yeah. and and vice versa. Like a really awful story can still be elevated by really good artwork. It's like there's this. They both play off of each other, but to find a story that has this artwork that really fits the tone of what's being written, helps to elevate the writing, the writing helps to reflect the artwork and they just work in such unison. I feel like mm-hmm. Spencer and Locke is one of those comics where it's like every bit, every drawing, every picture fits the story that's being told. You yeah, know, there's no wasted pictures. There's no wasted panels. From the you know, the, the Calvin and Hobbes esque like flashbacks to the when we first see them as, you know, cops like in that alleyway to even like when Spencer or um, when Locke is you know, having his crazy like flashback, I'm a spaceman. You know, <laughs> scene where he's like completely out of his head. Like the artwork yeah, yeah. changes, but every bit of it fits the tone of the book. It's all the same tone. It all fits together so well. Um, and it's, and I can't compliment you know both of you so well because like it's yeah. I think it's one of those things where they both come together. It's like it's not just your work and not just you know and something. It's like both coming together and make the story phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I'd say this is just as much George's baby as as mine, and I I'd say I'd even go so far as to say I don't think the book he kind of tempers the tone of the book. I think in a big way um, that you know, like we were talking about with Sweet Tooth, he he makes the book a little more palatable, a little more mm-hmm. accessible. Um, because I think if I if you had played my script completely straight, if you had gotten like an Eduardo Riso type. Um, you know, like really kind of gritty. I think people would have been turned off. They would have seen the book as this like deeply oppressive um, grit fest, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And and I, the thing I always try to avoid is, you know, I don't want to be like one of those like edge lords who's, you know, just doing gritty, you know, and shocking yeah. for the sake yeah. of, because I think that can, you know, it breed long-term engagement or investment in the characters and it can it can veer into exploitation territory which is not something i i want to do especially with the subject matter that i tend to tackle and um i think george was the only artist who could have pulled off this book yeah. and um he is just uh like i've said he, he's such a versatile artist he's able to really kind of shift gears in terms of tone um uh very naturally and uh you know, the thing that always blew my mind was I, you know, I had originally hired him thinking, you know, we would, he would just do the present day scenes and we'd find somebody else to do the flashbacks. And I, uh, I said, so do you want me to find somebody to do the flashbacks? He's like, oh no, I got it covered. And I was like, uh-huh. covered? That's awesome. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And uh, yeah, he does such a great job at, you know, putting his own style on the, 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 the iconic Bill Watterson cartooning or mm-hmm. the iconic Mort Walker, Beetle Bailey cartooning in, in volume two. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just um, really next level. And um, I, I, I 
he's he, he's my ride or die and uh i i uh, I'm, I'm so grateful and fortunate that uh we were able to cross paths for this book yeah absolutely i think it's a it's a phenomenal pairing and it's pulled off something phenomenal it's one of those great pairings that you find every so often in comics where it just it works and it's elevated each other and yeah i think spencer and Locke is definitely all the better for it for that pairing yeah. Yeah, and you said something earlier. You were talking about the grit of the book. Like, it is definitely gritty, but I think where 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 you guys do a really good job is just the color palette that you guys choose. Like, it's definitely uh, dark. It's gritty, and it deals with some heavy yeah. stuff. But uh, it is incredibly colorful. You know, I think Jason. I mean, you know, it's funny when you guys were talking about how good art can make or break a book. Um, I'd go one step further, and I'd say good colors make or break the art, mm-hmm. uh, which then the book yeah and um jason smith is uh he's a really talented colorist and um i I, i'm I'm always shocked that more people don't know about him and 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 that he doesn't get more work um because yeah he is um he and i work together very closely i probably worked closer with jason than i even did george Mm. uh, on, on, on the artwork um i i had taken classes with chris sotomayor uh on coloring um, and when I was at DC as a DC intern, that was the thing they really drilled into me was, you know, give good color notes and it'll really up the whole book's game. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, Jason, um, Jason and George are a phenomenal pairing. Um, you know, I, I it took a little while to find the right colorist. Um, we, we'd gone through a couple, um, and it just wasn't the right fit. Um, but Jason, um, the way that he renders uh, George's work, um, it really kind of adds a nice sense of depth. It adds a nice sense of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just levels up what are already some really amazing inks and just brings it to, to the next level. And um, yeah, I, I, I love Jason. You know, I, I still work with Jason whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he and I, um, he's actually... He's done a, he, he did a, a pinup for the OZ um, for our last nice. issue, and um, uh, he uh, is working on some stuff for me right now, uh, uh, hopefully for the next Kickstarter. Um, so, yeah, um, really, and, and, and uh, uh, working on some other stuff, uh, you know, we're, uh, when we inevitably do a, a, a full one shot of Roxy Rewind. Um, uh, we'll, we'll do a color version with uh, Jason's colors on top of uh, George's inks. So yeah, uh, really terrific guy. I can't say enough good things about Jason. And uh, I'm excited for uh, the three of us to kind of be back in the saddle again for volume three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's phenomenal that you found a great team like that that come together to put this book together and and that you're able to keep working with each other and all these other projects as well. Like you said, he's doing stuff for you for like the OZ and stuff like that for... Well, he has done for issue one of that, and then he's going to be doing stuff hopefully for the next Kickstarter. And it's phenomenal that that relationship gets to keep growing and changing as well. Yeah, you know, it's I I am picky, and and yeah. and that's the thing is is uh, when you're picky, your 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 tribe self selects a little bit, and sometimes it takes a little longer to find the people that you really click with and the people mm-hmm. that you trust. Um, but when you do. And you're kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to give you work as long as you can handle it, you know, yep. as, as much work as you can stand. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate um, with, you know, getting to connect with people like George and Jason, um, because they really kind of started um, my lucky streak uh, working with collaborators uh, with, with my next books down the line. 
absolutely and um, we actually have a question coming in from our chat at the moment so it's going to jump over there uh, coming from tom levine and uh, says david do you work in beats or other small units of action and if so how would you define or delineate them Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I've got to say that's a that's a pretty epic question <laughs> coming in there. <laughs> chat and like... I, I, I certainly break down, um, you know, how I'm gonna, you know, I, I I certainly think about the structure. I'm usually thinking issue to issue. Um, I'm usually thinking, okay, what's the the what's the high concept of each issue that's sort of discrete from the overarching. You know, um, if, if if Spencer and Locke is, you know, about a hard-boiled detective who investigates the murder of his childhood sweetheart with his partner, who's a seven-foot-tall imaginary panther, that's sort of the general arc of the book. But, you know, issue one, you know, is usually it's set up, you know, it's, you know, uh, you introduce the case, you introduce the characters, and then you throw in like a, you know, um, a complication to kind of show what they're made of. Um, the second issue, you know, I usually by issue two, I'm kind of like, okay, now that we've got issue one in the bag, everybody knows who everybody is. Is there any other setup that I need to do um, that I wasn't able to fit into issue one? Um, you know, are there any um, additional complications I can throw at the character? Usually I'm thinking, what's a fun set piece? Yeah. Usually, usually I, I like car chases. Um, you know, that's that's usually what I do for a second issue. But sometimes it's just like a knockdown, drag out brawl, uh, yeah. like in Scouts Honor. Um, you know, uh, and depending on how long this series goes, you know, it's kind of like, all right, what's like one big set piece that you can really kind of anchor the whole thing on? And um, you know, so like for Scouts Honor, I said, oh, the, 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 the Trials of the Eagle, you know, like just kind of a cool, big Hunger Games, you know, um, uh, version of the Eagle Scouts. And then, um, you know, it's, it's sort of every issue needs to have its own identity. Um, Heidi McDonald over the beat calls it a, a satisfying chunk, you know, and I think as long as you're working in, 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 in singles, you need to figure out a way to make every issue stand on its own two feet. Now, granted, um, when I'm outlining stuff, I will usually just have bullet points of like, what's a thing I want to hit in this script? Like, what's an image ju that just stands out to me? And then sometimes I'll kind of Jenga it together in a way that I'm like, all right, well, you know, this moment wouldn't really fit. In a, it obviously wouldn't fit in a first issue. It probably yeah. wouldn't fit in a second. Is this, is this a front half or a back half kind of thing? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's very much, it's, 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 it's like sculpting, you know, uh, it's figuring it out. It's sculpting with a blindfold on uh, is, is probably the best way to describe it. It's really feeling it out. <laughs> That's a phenomenal way to describe it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and uh, or, you know, trying to do a Rubik's Cube, you know, um, where you're just kind of like, all right, this didn't work. All right, let's twist it in another way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's just like, well, what's a fun way to do, you know, what's a fun image that pops out in my head and how can I fit that in? And oftentimes that comes to me, I'm listening to some music, you know, I'm, I'm working on an outline right now that was really kind of kicking my butt. And then somebody uh, put on the Final Fantasy VII uh, fight song on Twitter and I listened to that and I listened to that all afternoon and I was like, oh yeah, this is like now I'm, now I'm vibing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's um, sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I think action beats i usually tend to plan out in advance emotional beats i'm usually kind of coming up with as the story's unfolding uh, those are usually kind of hitting 
um, you know, in dialogue uh, oftentimes, um, you know, or sort of when I'm when I'm plotting, when I'm actually writing out this, when I'm scripting it, you know, panel to panel, I'll be like, oh, this could be a moment to really kind of um, squeeze some tears out, you know. Yeah. Um, in the actual plotting, overarching plotting, I try to think of certain emotional scenes, you know, um, either about whether somebody might be, you know, you might be losing a supporting character mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, your your main character kind of has to, you know, redouble their efforts or die. Um, those are usually kind of things that really grab and respond to me. You know, figuring out, like, is there a big secret, you know, that kind of will turn their entire quest on its head? Yeah. Um, something I, I'm, I'm usually trying to think of. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, ultimately... It's a hard thing to formulize. Mm -hmm. you know? um, I, I, I think that's this is the one thing that I always say when I talk about processes is always comes with a grain of salt because ultimately it's whatever makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. And whatever gets the work done for you, then the process works. I could tell you all sorts of ways that I kind of structure things and how I come up with ideas and how I uh, the the time frame of how I work on my stuff and you might be like, that's nonsense. Mm -hmm. And You'd be right, but I've gotten books out of it, so it's yeah. not nonsense to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very much a mileage may vary kind of situation, but I think, um, yeah, I'm usually at least trying to come up with like some images of just like what seems emotionally engaging, mm -hmm. um, and what I think like a general audience might be interested in, and what I might be interested in personally. And um, usually, if I can find some overlap there, that's where I I, I tend to pace out my work. Awesome. That was really cool. It was a really uh, thank you, Tom Levine, for that question coming up in chat there. That was a phenomenal question just to kind of delve into like the process of that creation. It's like I love hearing about it. Um and to Tom Levine who is chatting away with Locke and there, it's like if it is indeed the Tom Levine, like, you know, renowned author Tom Levine, and thank you so much for stopping by the yeah. podcast and hanging out with us. We appreciate you popping in today. Yes. Um, he says, as far as he knows, that is him. And he's pretty <laughs> sure he's the only one of him, so he's the, to the best of his knowledge. So, oh, well, there we go. Which is a bit, the best answer you can possibly thank for. But, like, but uh, thank you, David, for the answer to that question. That was honestly phenomenal just to hear that process. Um, I kind of want to change gears a little bit. Um, just for a question I had that's kind of like Spencer and Locke, but it also kind of drifts into some of your other work. Um. Right. Has it been like an intentional choice of yours to basically the right word here to, to subvert stories that people already know? Because uh, kind of like we talked about, like you know, like obviously Spencer and Locke highly based upon Calvin and Hobbes. If you were not aware of that from the first page of the first issue, is very much a Calvin and Hobbes book mixed with yeah. a you know, like you said, Beetle Bailey kind of becoming a reference in the second book for, you know, the villain that they face. Uh, you've mentioned references coming up for Spencer Lock 3 when we were talking off camera before that are referencing other stuff. Even to the, you know, even to the yeah. OZ is mm -hmm. basically a subversion of the Wizard of Oz story, although it's kind of a sequel to it as well, a little sure. bit. Um, is, is that an intentional thing to do, or is that just kind of like where you're you know your creativity is taken you're like hey i can mess with us <laughs> you know it's it's yes and no um you know it's funny because I, uh you know it's it's some of it becomes like the best strengths of creator own and the best 
constraints of licensed books, you know, is you're able to have those expectations and sort of the, the continuity through osmosis, um, and then you're able to build and subvert it. I do think some, some of that's my sense of humor um, that I think I, I try to temper with the emotional mm-hmm. beats. I, I always say I, I feel like half my high concepts are like a prank upon the reader that winds up being a prank upon myself because then I have to like pull it off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I always say I, I come up with trash concepts that I make you cry about. Um, you know, it's it's uh, for me, um, I, I'm always drawn to stuff with just iconography, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, because you could you could say that the Boy Scouts, for example, you know, Scouts Honor is, is very much in the same vein, you know, where you're taking something that, you know, and kind of taking the piss out of it, turning mm-hmm. it on. Um, you could even say for my book, Going to the Chapel, you know, um, that's a book, you know, it's 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 a, a, a hostage heist situation that takes place at a wedding. Mm-hmm. So you get to play with all the wedding iconography. And um, iconography is something that really, that's the big thing that I'm, I'm usually drawn to. Um, it's funny because I do feel like the way that my career has unspooled at the moment, um, you're seeing a lot more of my my subversive streak. Uh, which is not all the stuff that I do, uh, but it, that just so happens to be the way that the books have been released in that order. Um, you know, books like, for example, um, uh, Grand Theft Astro, which uh, we're, we're, we are slowly but surely getting art on. Um, you know, that book, I compare it to The Fast and the Furious and I compare it to like Back to the Future and Star Wars. And while there are, those are certainly influences on the book, um, it still feels like its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, oh, that's Dominic Toretto. If Dominic Toretto got a, a, a rocket ship, um, you know, I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I think for me, it's always, you know, what's a high concept that's going to get like an emotional reaction. Usually, usually a surprise laughter. That's usually the, the big thing. Um, but sometimes I have a few concepts that are in the works and in various stages of development where it's sort of this feeling where it's more of when I explain it, it kind of pulls on your heartstrings a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think is a valid emotional response as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I don't have a concept that like immediately makes you think like, oh, like, you know, that's how could how could this monster pull that off? Yeah. Um, then like I'm not really it's not worth the time. You know, I, I mean, it's such a weird way to, to think about it, but it's like, I'm not the fastest writer out there. I'm not, I'm not Donny Cates. I'm not Bendis, you know, um, they're cranking out a script a week. Um, it usually takes me six to eight weeks to, to plot out a series. Um, and then once that's done, then I can churn out a script every two weeks. But, you know, that means that it usually takes... If I was working nonstop and being uninterrupted, which I am never uninterrupted, you know, that would mean that I could crank out, you know, maybe four, four series a year, you know, mm-hmm. um, the problem is, is that you have to add in, like, I'm doing production work on other books, which does take a lot of my creative bandwidth. I'm doing conventions, um, and then just, you know, life happening like a pandemic, yeah. um, uh, you know, or, or, or moving, um, uh, things that I have experienced in the last year. Um, so yeah, I, I think becomes a question of like what's worth the time to invest. Um, you know, I the last thing I want is to do a book that I'm like, oh, 
I feel like I wasted my time on that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that it doesn't feel like it's representative of my skills. It doesn't feel like it's scratching a particular itch. And that's part of the reason why I jump from genre to genre as much as I do is because mm -hmm. um, I, I'm restless by nature. And so this is a good way of sort of keeping me occupied, um, you know, keeping me interested, keeping me engaged. Once I finish a crime book, you know, usually the very last thing I want to do after that is another crime book. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, you know, the OZ, I finished writing the OZ uh, early last year. You know, so that series is, 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 is been long written. And I uh, pretty much immediately went from that to Skeps Honor. Mm -hmm. um, just based on like, you know, that was the that was the concept that Aftershock went for. And uh, that, you know, and, and so the time that was done, you know, doing kind of the darker, I mean, I went from fantasy to like post apocalyptic, but there's certainly some some shared traits between the, mm -hmm. the, the two. I was like, okay, I need to do something like a little brighter. Um, yeah. And so, like, I, you know, I wound up working on a, a YA sci fi book after that, um, you know, which uh, uh, hasn't been announced, uh, doesn't have a home yet. Um, you know, and right now I'm working on a crime book that is pretty ambitious structurally. Um, and uh, another horror book, actually, two horror books that you know they they each have different muscle groups and one of them i feel really strongly about and the other one i'm still kind of figuring out like what do i love about this book yeah. you know it's it's so kind of early on and embryonic um yeah i think i think to answer your question um i like it when the books are a little subversive i also like it when it just covers a wider range of subject matter mm -hmm. you know um i, I try to be, i want to be an evangelist for this industry and um i want I don't want to preach to the choir. I want converts, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and by virtue of that, it's like, I want to make my books really varied. I want 31 flavors. Um, mm. as if somebody doesn't like Spencer and Locke, for example, that's why going to the chapel was the very next thing I did. And I can tell you the number one thing I heard from people when going to the chapel came out was that was from the guy who did Spencer and Locke. Yes. I contain multitudes. I'm yeah. complex. I'm like an onion, um, but uh, that's that's really the stuff that I I try to go for is just what will give you an emotional response, and then I take it across as many different genres as I can. Yeah, and I think it's a really you know commend you a lot the fact of you can see that you have like you know you do have that versatility to go to these different genres and stuff, and they are very different from one another, and they are very different in how they come across, and. Yeah. And I really like the way that you put it across as well, that you, you know, you want to be an evangelist for comic books, essentially. You want to, you know, you don't want to put something out there that's just for, you know, comic book fans. You want to show people, like, hey, this is, there's something here that you might yeah. be interested in. And, and that's something that I've always like, kind of held my heart to, of like that, is like, that everybody's a comic book fan, they just don't know it. I'm like, you tell me yeah. what you're interested in, and I can find you a comic book that covers that. Yeah, 100%. you tell me what you like to read. You tell me the sort of stuff you like to watch, the stuff that you enjoy, the types of story, and I can guarantee you, I can find you a comic out there that that hits those notes. That's often what I'm doing now. Is it's very much you know thinking, okay, what's a demographic I haven't hit yet, mm -hmm. or something that I enjoy. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this just just last night. Is I think part of the reason I was a reviewer for as long as I was, it was sort of a way to extend pleasure that I had gotten from reading the comic. You know, it's sort of what's better than reading a comic is reading a comic and then talking about the comic. 
And I think I've sort of gotten, I got desensitized to just talking about the comic. And I said, well, what's more fun than just reading a comic and then talking about a comic? It's making a comic that in some way speaks to the original that I liked so much. Yeah. I mean, and, that's, uh, that's literally why we started the show was the idea of like, hey, let's yeah. talk about comics. Let's, we enjoy talking yeah. about comic stuff so much. Let's make sure we've got a place to give everyone it's that wants way. to join the conversation can come and join us. And Yeah. Uh, it's a way to sort of extract that little bit of extra, you know, bone marrow out of out of the meal, like savoring and, it. Yeah, savoring that good meal. Yeah. And and uh, so yeah, you know, if there's ever something that I feel particularly passionate about, I mean, part of the reason why Scouts Honor, um, you know, a, a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult really spoke to my love of the Fallout franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that's a video game that I, I I had to ban myself from playing because I was like, <laughs> I won't get any work done. I yeah. will not get any work done. I'll spend hours and hours playing it. But sort of that weird post-apocalyptic alt history kind of stuff, um, that's baked into Scouts Honor's DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we're sort of able to take, you know, I think a, a really interesting look at, at politics and uh and 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 gender and uh and identity mm-hmm. and you know we're sort of able to turn that into a book about self-actualization yeah and i think it's it's a, a this the sort of book that people will see it and see the high concept and be like oh yeah that sounds like a pepos book but then they'll read it and yeah they'll be like oh i cried so it's definitely a pepos book but i think like the actual angle of which i made people cry i think was very different um, and so I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about sort of taking those influences and repurposing them. Um, and I think that's a way that really gets me to connect with those influences, but also internalize and, and, and own them in a, in a way, um, uh, that's very unique, um, to, to, to anything else. So, so as a creator, as, coming from the creative perspective, how do you, how do you foster an environment for yourself of inspiration? Like, how do you remain inspired to keep doing different these different types of things? Um, last minute panic. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, just to, to paraphrase Bill Watterson there. No, I mean, you know, thankfully, I've, I'm really lucky in the sense that, um, like I said, I'm restless, so I come up with ideas pretty quickly. The question is, is whether or not the idea will sort of last the test of time yeah you know, um, there are certain ideas that i come up with that don't really get like the you know i usually like to wait at least a month mm-hmm. now um, if i remember the idea in a month then maybe it's worth pursuing yeah but um scout's honor was for you know actually was was a very spur of the moment idea that i happened to send aftershock along with a slew of other log lines that had been sort of gestating for a long time and mm-hmm. of course Aftershock picked the one that I had picked that I had like come up with like the week prior. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was very much like thinking on my feet. And um, there's an outline that I'm working on right now that is actually in the exact same boat where I, I'd come up with it like a week before I had sent it a bunch to the editors. And of course, the editor was like, yeah, let's flesh out that one. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I really? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think for so the, the high concepts, I mean, those are a dime a dozen. I mean, everybody can kind of come up with a high concept. It's really, it's following through and, and, and executing that's, that's, that's tough. And, um, you know, that's very much, it's an ongoing evolution. 
Um, you know, I, I, I feel like, especially in the last year, really even the last six months, there's, I've had a lot of changes. Um, you know, we, we got a brand new puppy who uh, takes a, a lot of attention. Uh, I moved um, so that there's a lot of sort of just figuring out basic infrastructure of where I live. Um, but, you know, for me, the ways that I tend to keep inspired, um, music is a big thing. And it's something that I, I often forget um, is that, you know, listen to a bunch of music, like just see what imagery kind of pops out if you find a song that hits that energy that you're looking mm-hmm. for. Um, you know, uh, you are what you eat. So, you know, I, I, a lot of research. Um, and I think the, the big thing is consuming media that's in the same headspace mm-hmm. of the thing you're trying to go for. Um, for example, I'm, I'm working on a crime outline right now. And so I've been watching crime, 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 crime yeah and you'd be surprised at even the things this this hits me a lot i'll see a movie and i'll be like well you know i don't know if i really want to watch that i don't know if i loved it when i saw it the first time um you know i watched uh, logan lucky mm-hmm. uh, 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 again last night i was not expecting a whole lot out of it i watched all the soderbergh oceans movies i do love those movies a lot but i was kind of like oh you know it 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 doesn't it doesn't reach that scale, and as I watched it, it like I had a a, a, a like a light bulb idea that like fixed yeah. a your story problem that I had been like, oh, awesome. and so I think you know taking the time to just like mainline a whole bunch of stuff in your genre I think mm-hmm. is very important um, because I think it can be very easy to spend all your time researching. You know, you go on, you know, you go on Google and you're like, oh, like, you know, I want to learn about building architecture. And you spend all this time, you know, just going down the K-hole about building architecture and not writing anything. Yeah. You know, those overall ideas, you don't, you know, you can figure that out on the fly, I think. I think everybody has a certain idea of building architecture, for example, Mm -hmm. that like, you know, you can go into the weeds for like flavor, but like... Now, if your whole story is about like uh, the hatch in the Death Star and having to figure out, well, what's that hatch for? It's an exhaust hatch. Well, where does that hatch go down to? It goes down to the core. Oh, who, who you know, it's that becomes like a lot, yeah. you know, for you to hinge a whole story on. Like audiences don't care. There's a there's a vent and it goes yeah. down to the core, and you don't need to go past that. Yeah, um, you know, and so I, I think um, music you know, the, the, the pop culture you're consuming. I do a lot better with film and television than I do actually reading other comics. I feel like there are a lot of comics fans out there, and I'm sure there are a lot of aspiring comics writers out there who that's, they just read comics. Yeah. You know? And that becomes like the snake eating its own tail. Like, I, you know, I, you're not going to bring anything new if you're just focusing on one industry. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, like I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, David. I was gonna say, like, based off what you were just saying, I, I can, I can see in Spencer and Locke, like, it, it's, it's like cinematic the way that it's laid out, like, yeah. So I, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Like, there, there are elements that I draw from certain writers, you know, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of overall execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, I like the way that Rick Remender paces out action sequences. So that was something that I really, you know, I um, took it in, into consideration. Um, you know, I, I tried, I looked at people like Rebender 
and Mark Miller and uh, Frank Miller, of course, you know, um, you know, just being like, how do they do a fight scene? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, seeing the way that um, creators like Dan Slaughter, Jeff Johns, how do they handle character, you know, characterization, and, you know, uh, you know, what are the sorts of big moments that they would do for a character? Mm-hmm. How do I... Or Devin Grayson actually is really kind of my big, uh, she's my biggest influence. And I, I she's always so gracious every time I, I, I fanboy out at her on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. when somebody talks about her run on Batman uh, from uh, the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, as far as actual like content, now, you know, I, there are a lot of people who, who just, they recycle comics. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's only so much you can do from that. I would much rather, you know, learn from film and television and just be like, okay, these are people who, yeah, they have bigger budgets and they have more staff, but they're having to to produce stories that at the end of the day have to pass muster. Mm-hmm. And they often pass muster with a much larger subsection of the populace mm-hmm. than our comics do. Mm-hmm. So how do we make things more accessible? How do we make them more, uh, more accessible, not simplistic, but less, less esoteric, you mm-hmm. know? Um, easier to, to 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 follow and get engaged and invested in. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so I think that's something that sometimes our industry is a little confused with, uh, where they go so esoteric that it's like, yeah, great. You know, you're you know, hundred people might like really vibe on this, might really get it, but like, a lot of people are going to be scratching their heads and being like, I don't understand what this book is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I argue. Just like there are readers out there who would read anything, no matter how bad it is. No, there are some readers out there who would read something that's super crazy complicated. They're the super connoisseurs, and that's great. But they would also read something that's just accessible, you know? Um, And so that's kind of the sweet spot I'm trying to be in. Um, I'm never going to be much as I'd love to. I'm never going to be Jonathan Hickman. I'm never going to be Karen Gillan. I'm never going to be Al Ewing. But, you know, could I be, like, the best B-lister you've ever heard of? Uh, that's That seems like an achievable goal. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of the, the, the thing I'm trying to do is is just make things accessible and, um, and, and, and make you really feel something out of it mm-hmm. and take as big of a swing conceptually as I can and then try to actually follow through with some character work and some good yeah. action sequences. And then, you know, hopefully it'll work out. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, trying to stay inspired. It's very much a question of, you know, music, influences, you know, taking in more media. And I think also uh, knowing when to, to call it a day. Yeah. And that's something that I'm really I'm working on. It's something I'm very bad at. It's something that now that the pandemic is wrapping down, like going back to the gym, you know, taking a walk, yeah. um, you know, um, you know. After this podcast, I'm going to be taking my my puppy to the dog park. Like it's a nice way to just unplug and yeah. let your just kind of mull over some stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. It's you know, it's tough, and it's like it's like everything I'm saying. No one size fits all. Yeah. So yeah, it's different for everybody. That's no, awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we might have another question from Tom. Um, if you if you have time. Tom. Um, so his question is, um, how would you approach a one-panel comic story? 
one panel comic story. Like, I mean, it'd have to be like, like Marmaduke, you know, or family circus, you know, I feel like, um, I feel like for me, if I was approaching a one panel, actually, you know what? There's two ways to do it. You either do it like Marmaduke or the family circus, you know, where it's just, it's just a joke. Mm -hmm. You get, it's just, it's just one funny image and a punchline, you know? Um, usually like, usually you see an image of somebody doing something weird and then you have like a one liner that's like ironic. Um, you know, sir, this is a Wendy's, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but there is another way to do it. This is kind of a cheat because um, it's not really one panel; it's one page. Um, but you do sort of the old school Marvel splash page. Um, the first page of uh, my book, Roxy Rewind. I feel like we did a really good job at this. That um, we had one splash page of our hero, um, uh, Juniper Wells, um, who is the daughter of two time travelers, and. Mm -hmm. As the first ever daughter to time travelers, she has the the ability to manipulate time up to sixty seconds. So uh, we have a big splash page of her in a in a fight with a supervillain. She said, "My uh, here, I'll I'll open it up. Actually, um, I'll, I'll 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 read it." Um, Dad was a time-traveling physicist from the year twenty-one fifty. My mom was a car hop at the Blue Star drive-through in nineteen fifty-four. This is what you learn in my house where you, when you ask where babies come from. My secret identity is Juniper Wells, but you can call me Roxy Rewind. But I'm probably getting ahead of myself. After all, this is my first day. And uh, that really tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. You know? Um, because at the end of the day, that's what matters. It's, it's her. It's not really who she's fighting. I mean, who she's fighting is just a way to kind of put her through her paces. Mm -hmm. um, but that one page, which is technically one panel, um, you learn everything you need to know about the character. And you get a little bit of a sense of humor, just because I like to in, in, insert that when I can. Yeah. Um, you know, just to kind of grease the wheels uh, and humanize the characters a little bit. But um, you'd see, you know, Mark Wade was really good. Um, no, I say was, this is posthumous. He is very good, um, you know, uh, at doing opening page splashes. Um, you know, the one that really sticks out the most to me is he did a run on his run on Fantastic Four. One of the issues opened up with a big splash page of Ben Grimm holding up a, a, a box, and there's a spring on the box, and it's got like a pie on it, and you see there's this pie all over his face. Yeah, that's the first page. You know, it, I don't even think there was dialogue on it, um, but you know immediately like, oh, that's the story. Ben Grimm got pranked. Yeah, um, and so. I mean, it's tough though. I, it, it, starting off with uh, a single, with a splash page, it's a tough, it's a tough way to start any story. It's not impossible. It's just not something I do very often because it's like tricky to 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 make work. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as far as a one-panel story, um, it's not just like a flashback vignette. You know, because um, like flashback vignettes, I mean, you, you see them in anything from Family Guy or New Girl, you know, where they're like, oh, remember that time that Nick did such and such? And then you flash back and you see Nick Miller making like an outlandish statement and then it cuts back to the present. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not doing that. I think humor is really the way that I would go. I think um, you're able to kind of encapsulate that in a shorter burst than you would something like tragic. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I, you know what you could do like, 
baby shoes, you know, never worn, you know, for sale baby shoes never worn. I mean, you could probably do that in one panel. Yeah. Um, but I think it's harder. It's harder to build up that investment. It has to be something like very universal. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, one, one panels. I'd look at Marmaduke, I'd look at, uh, you know, uh, Family Circus, even a lot of editorial cartoons, you know, that technically counts. Um, that's really, I think, the extent of what you can do with just one single panel. Nice. And from his comment in the, the chat, it seems to be Tom's quite happy with that answer as well. <laughs> yeah, when he says thank you for that. So yeah, Tom's coming with some of the some of the challenging questions today. Uh, oh, that's a that's a, that's a great question. I love thinking about that sort of process stuff, and I think that comes from my time as a reviewer. Um, and you know, like my best friends are all people I met in the trenches as, as, as reviewers. Um, you know, uh, my buddy George Marston, I talk with them uh, daily. Uh, my mentor, Troy Brownfield, who uh, he was the reviews editor at Newsarama before me, and he kind of gave me my break over there. I talk with him almost daily. Um, you know, Pierce Lydon, um, you know, who was, uh, you know, kind of one of the big reviewers over at Newsarama for a long time. Um, I talk with them frequently, you know, and it's a sort of this shared love of the medium, but I think it's also a shared love of storytelling and creativity. And I think having that brain trust, um, along with my partner, uh, Claire, who, you know, she she's not a comics reader, but she's a voracious reader of fiction. Mm-hmm. And she kind of grounds me and kind of keeps me, you know, thinking about, well, like, what's the emotional beat here? Like, what's something that's accessible? What's something that for somebody who isn't versed in comics, like, does this fly with you? Um, and having that, excuse me, having that brain trust, uh, I think is, is really crucial for me. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that kind of they're they're the they're the guardrails for me and in, in, in making sure I don't jump the shark, making sure I don't go too far afield, making sure that like when I write something and when I commit to it, it's been vetted. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that goes a long way with, you know, me being confident in the work. And I think that goes a really long way in, in to the way it's been received. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can definitely see there's a, you know, a factor in it. Like having all these influences is definitely, you know, brought in a positive thing to it. And it's, it can only be a good thing, you know, to have different influences and different people from different perspectives just feeding in like that. A hundred percent. You know, um, so to kind of switch gears as we're, you know, as a podcast, just plodding on, I want to switch back to some more of your recent stuff that you've worked on and uh, to delve into a little bit more. Uh, major one I want to delve into is some Scouts Honor, which I'm yeah, digging out, my, issue, my digging out issue five because I just I love that cover. <laughs> just to show I love that for cover. no, for no yeah, other that, reason. <laughs> such a good cover. F- funny story about that cover. Um, I I am about ninety five percent sure. Remember which issue? this that was originally going to be a cover. I want to say it was either for issue two or issue three, and. Um, when Andy Clark sent it, and he had sent a couple slightly different versions of that cover, um, uh, basically the same general gist of it. I think, I want to say that was issue two. Um, and I saw it. He had sent two different versions of issue two, the one that actually came out, and he sent that. And I was like, oh, save that for the last issue. I was so, going to say, know, like, that that feels like it's completely, like, last issue fitting with what happens in the final issue of it. Like, I yeah. can't see that fitting issue two as well. Uh, yeah. Well, I was just like, I was like having Kit 
seemingly on the same side as the highwaymen. I was like, that that that's actually exactly where we're going with the book. Yeah. So like use that. But um yeah, Jose Villarubia, um he is terrific. I I, I so it's funny. I, I've I met Jose a couple years ago because um, I, I'm buddies with uh, Pornsack uh, Pinchichote, uh, the writer of Infidel. Uh, Pornsack was the very first person I met at my DC internship. He was super friendly to me in the elevator on my first day. And um, Pornsack's been like just such a big supporter of my work. Um, he, he helped me get my first, uh, my first uh, manager. Um, you know, and, and, and help me get get wrapped for the first time. And so um, when Pornsack came back to the comics industry with Infidel, I was so blown away, you know, when I read it. And learning that Jose not only colored, but edited it, I was so impressed with the, with the final product. And so when um, my editors, Christina Harrington and Mike Martz uh, over at Aftershock said, oh, we're going to get Andy Clark and Jose Villarubia on covers. I was like, oh, that's that's wonderful. Jose is just... Jose and, and Matt Miller, our interior color artist, well, um, artists, you do not need to hold their hands. Mm-hmm. They just They know what works, and they know it immediately, and they know exactly where, like, you know, it's like a model knowing their best angles. You know? These guys know what the best colors are for a particular scene and a particular thing. I think uh, for Matt, I probably had to ask, like, right on, like, uh, you could say it on, like, both hands. Maybe even just one hand. The number of times I was like, "Oh, hey, can we tweak this one thing?" Um, but yeah, Jose, when he turned in that fifth issue cover, I, to be honest, I'm not even sure I had seen it until it was up for pre-order. Wow. I don't know what I had. <laughs> I'm not sure I did. Um, and I just remember seeing it and being like, "Whoa, that is like the perfect way to end the book." You know, it ends the book. I think. I think that's the best cover of the series, and we mm-hmm. have some good covers in that series. But um, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about: is that you know, um, a bad colorist will tank the strongest line art. But having the right colors, it really just elevates artwork to the next level. And uh, Jose is—I I want to work with Jose again. He is, he is just a really terrific and striking artist and uh, from what I've been told, editor. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, Jose, if you're listening, I, uh, we're, we're, this will not be the last. That's like, as someone who's drawn to comics, like I'm probably on the opposite side of Cross. Like I, I pick comics because of the art, not necessarily the story. If the story's awesome, that's just an added bonus for me. But I'm, I'm drawn more towards the art. And I had these on my kitchen table the other day. I had the Scouts Honors issues on my kitchen table. And I was just, it's funny we're talking about this issue because I remember looking at the cover. I'm like, this cover is fantastic. Like the attention to detail. Like I, I like trying to figure out how, how they did certain things. And at one point I was like, I have no idea how they did that. That's phenomenal. But yeah, the attention <laughs> to detail on this cover is awesome. And that was that was all Jose. I mean, you know, I... I he did not require a whole lot of, I don't think he took any direction for any of this. I think, you know, he just took Andy's line work and, and ran with it. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, you know, I was really, I was really thrilled um, with Andy and Jose's covers for the book. Um, and I was thrilled with uh, artist Luca Castellanguida and, and, and colors Matt Miller on interiors. Um, Luca's funny because I had actually reached out to Luca years ago 
uh, about working on another project. And Luca was busy working on a small independent comic called James Bond. And um, so when Mike said, oh, hey, Luca Castellanguita is looking for a book, like, oh, yeah, like, I know Luca. Like, yeah, like, 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 you know, uh, uh, let's do it. And um, I think Luca did a really superlative job uh, on, on the book. Um, you know, he's got that he's got that Italian style. He, he is from Italy. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got that that degree of grit, you know, for mm -hmm. something that's post apocalyptic. But he's able to shift gears really nicely. You know, um, there are moments that are kind of quiet and beautiful and emotional. And then you immediately like the you know the rug gets pulled out from underneath them, and suddenly it's like chaos and violence going on everywhere. And yeah. uh, Luca, Luca did a really great job shifting gears, you know, especially because I tend to write pretty densely, you know. And I think one of the challenges I had writing Scouts Honor is it's the first series that I wrote in twenty page increments versus twenty two. Um, certain publishers, want, you know, that's how they operate; they do twenty pages, um, and you would be shocked at those, you know, those extra two pages are always the extra two pages you need to either get a character beat out or to establish the villain or to pull off whatever thing you need to pull off. Mm -hmm. So as a result, um, I think Scout's Honor was written a little more densely, mm -hmm. uh, even compared to my usual fare. Um, and, uh, oh, I don't know if I cut out. No, you're still here. No, we can oh, hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think as a result, the burden was on Luca, you know, to 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 to, to execute and to execute in a, I think a, a, a blisteringly fast time frame. Mm. I think he was he was he was cranking out an issue. I think every six to eight weeks, uh, you oh, know, yeah. probably on the lower end of that, of that spectrum, um, and that's full layouts, pencils, and inks. Um, I know he works digitally. That, that that is that is helpful for him, but uh, you know. That's fast. I've never worked with an artist that fast. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and and the fact that he pulled it off and did it so well, you know, uh, you know, it speaks. It's it's a real testament to what a talent Luca is. Um, and so if he ever comes to the states, uh, you know, I owe him a drink. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of the the, the collaborators that they have. And, um, you know, in the case of Scouts Honor, you know, that was all in Mike Marstina Harrington, uh, my, my, my editors, uh, you know, who are just really terrific people. Um, you know, I'm excited to, to uh, hopefully find a, another project to work again soon. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I've been really fortunate with my collaborators. And I think that that, that goes back to um, my very first book, you know, um, that goes back to, Honestly, the, the book that I've always used as a playbook for my success is The Strange Talent of Luther Strode. Um, you know, I, I consider Justin Jordan a big influence. Mm. Um, not just the way that he navigates the industry and he understands the business of it, you know. And um, I, the smartest thing that Justin ever did, and I'm sure he would agree with me on this, is for his very first book, he worked with Trad Moore, you know. Mm. And, and so... You know, my philosophy is find find you some collaborators who make you look good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because ultimately that provides me a lot of. Oh, I might have lost him. Oh, I think we may have lost him this time. That's a good freeze frame, though. That's perfect freeze frame. <laughs>
Alright, let me... Okay. Yeah, David, if you can hear us, you might need to disconnect and reconnect. Damn, we're getting right in a good flow there as well. I know, man. There we go. Yeah, but everybody, how's everybody doing? Good. Sorry about that. Um, no, worries. there we go. I, I was just busy self-deprecating into the abyss. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, it's it's so good having collaborators as talented as the ones that I get to work with because, it, you know, I it gives me room to play around with stuff because I know that even if a particular moment maybe doesn't land the way that I had envisioned, mm-hmm. I know it's going to look excellent regardless. Yeah. And I think that gives, that gives me a lot of latitude, a lot of breathing room. And, uh, you know, honestly, as, as a comics fan, um, getting artwork is like the best part of my job. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I get to just enjoy cool new artwork with everybody else. And yeah, uh, so, yeah it's, it's, a, it's, it's been a very fun process. And uh, yeah, Luca and, and Matt Miller, um, they're a dream team. And I, I, I can't thank uh, my editors, Mike Martz and Christina Harrington enough for uh, bringing, bringing the team together like that. Yeah. And it is, it's a phenomenal team, and like you said, you know, look at it, there's a lot of praise for it, because as phenomenal as the covers are for Scouts Honor, the interior is beautiful as well. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. the interior looks so good for this comic, it's it's well written, it's well drawn, it's well put together, and mm-hmm. I don't want to jump into a little bit of the story for that as well, just, sorry, I was getting very aware of time as well for us, um, but into Scouts Honor, because like, there's a lot of there's a lot of commentary that takes place in this book mm-hmm. and it has a yeah. lot of amazing beats in it because like it's very like you said before it's set post-apocalyptic world it's like the you know the opening pages we get this emergence from like the underground we're literally at the reclaiming the world stage almost of the yeah and it's like we're met with so much different stuff from the the religious slash cult-esque aspect of you know the the boy scouts and the you know the scouts taking over and becoming this not just being the boy scouts we know but being this almost like you know military special forces that are also got the religious concept we've also got the the take on like our main character kit and who of course is the the wolf in sheep's clothing almost the the girl that has infiltrated this men's group (laughs) <laughs> you know because how dare a woman come in and try and do this stuff and like, there is so many commentary beats even just like reading the first issue all these beats like are it's not overwhelming mm-hmm. like it's one yeah. of those things like all these different beats could hit and it could be like okay this is this is getting too much he's like okay we're talking this and we're hitting this and we're hitting this and but it doesn't yeah. feel like it's an overwhelming like hitting all these different beats and all these different commentaries it all kind of flows together but Thank the message you. isn't the message isn't lost on any of those things. It, you know, it's funny because um, so much of that. You know, when I when I when I think of writing a script, I think a lot about my time when I was. Um, I worked in newspapers um, mm. when I graduated college. Um, I graduated in the recession, so my internship at DC there were no jobs. Uh, there was no <laughs> jobs anywhere. So I, I worked as a newspaper reporter for a few years after that. I, I worked in um, state politics and I worked in crime, and a lot of that's kind of finding, you know, finding the thread and following it, you know, you feel a little like a detective. And I feel like that's exactly the case for comic writing. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm slow at it is I think I'm less like inventing things and more just like, okay, well, I have this idea. 
where's the logical place it would go mm-hmm. or where's the, where's the most interesting place that this could organically lead to. And so I spent a lot of time trial and erroring my way through that. And Scout's Honor, I think a lot of the commentary came through that. It was, uh, I pitched a, a book to Aftershock saying, hey, you know, it's about a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult and one of the initiates finds out it's not as on the up and up as they thought. That was yeah. it. I, um, Kit was not a woman at that point. You know, it was only when Aftershock said, yeah, do the Boy Scout one that I was like, oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, at the time it was 2019. I said, you know, a book, a, an all dudes book is not going to fly mm-hmm. in 2019 unless there's like a very, you know, it's one thing if you did something about like a military platoon, you know, like that would maybe make sense. Um, but this is not going to, you know, it's not going to fly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, I don't know, lean, lean into that. Like it is weird to have like a book that's all dudes, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I was like, Oh, well, what's it like for a woman having to kind of navigate this 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 organization that might as well have a sign on the door that says you know boys only yeah yeah it's like and it's literally the boy scouts it's literally like a half the it's in the name you know, know half like, the world is not allowed to be part of this right there of the yeah. you know. and um so yeah i think um and and that kind of you know that then mutated into you know des you know uh, uh being gay and mm-hmm. and being sort of the closet son of the pastor you know of, of, of his, yeah. the, the religious leader of this cult and you know the idea of you know exploring toxic masculinity and seeing you know this is the logical extension and what happens you know to people who don't fit in that mold and mm-hmm. how do they live their lives and how do they navigate their the demands of their culture while you know while sort of exploring like well what's what's true to them mm-hmm. you know what's, what's true to themselves and um, yeah none of that was that that all came out in like the the first outline um you know but none of that was in the log line that after shock had asked for um <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they i'm glad they went for it i'm glad yeah. they liked it um you know and uh i think that's the sort of thing that it takes a little while to get to not every idea i've come up with like i'm able to get to that point where i'm like well what's the what's the bigger point here you know mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's an emotional point. Sometimes it's a point about a, a greater theme or, 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 or a political message. Um, you know, but I, I feel like if you can't figure out like, what's the meaning behind the book, then it's just stuff. Yeah. You know? And, um, it takes a little while to get there. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, I'm working on, you know, I'm working on an outline right now or outline where like, that's what I'm grappling with right now is I'm like, well, what's the bigger message here yeah besides besides this the, the this group of dudes who are doing a thing like well you know okay that's that's what the log line is but what's the story about mm-hmm. um and uh yeah scouts honor um it was a stressful book you know i feel like that was very much me flying by the seat of my pants and um i i, I luckily you know pulled a smooth landing on it yeah um but it's also a book that like i've been studying a lot lately and just kind of figuring out like okay like how do i replicate that you know Mm -hmm. Um, and not necessarily every not every book is going to be scouts honor not every book is going to hit at the same angle or 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 have the same kind of tone and message but i do think that in a lot of ways it's the book that has maybe the strongest message out of anything i've written and so it's something that uh 
I want to learn from and and yeah. and 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 uh, apply it when appropriate. Yeah, and it's, I think the interesting thing I found about scouts honoring, um, and I definitely don't mean this as a criticism towards the book, and it's like, but there's so many elements of the story that are that we've seen them before. Like, there's definitely sure. elements. So, like the, you know, like the the cult that's kind of overarching everything, and you find out is not really the way it's meant to be. In fact, everything mm-hmm. is built upon as a lie. Um, the basis upon like oh the the main hero being a girl that's pretending to be a man i mean like that's literally mulan you know i mean it's like it's not like we've not seen these things take place before and it's like but it been it would have been so easy for that to be detrimental to the book of just being able to read it and go oh yeah well we've seen that before so mm-hmm. but it's done in such a great way that like you because although, I, although those are beats to it, those are not like the, that's not the most important thing. The thing that you connect with first is the characters. Mm-hmm. So like it doesn't I, matter that we've seen this happen with a cult before, that this stuff has not really been there because we're following this journey of like Kent and Des and, and the people that round about them and, you know, starting to find out in the later issues you start to delve into, well, who are the highwaymen? Because they were just these bad guys first, but like, but who are they? Who are the yeah. real scouts? Who are, you know, who are, who are these people really and and it's that connection and, to the character i think delves it deeper you know yeah it will you know it's funny because it's like that's often something that like i'm agonizing over is like i think about like bigger questions and then i'm like well this is the this is the space you have you have five you know you have four to six issues depending on the publisher depending on the story depending on your budget and so you you, you start to hack away at stuff pretty quick um you know i i i i, I always say you know I'm not the guy who invented peanut butter and I'm not the guy who invented jelly. I'm just the idiot who figured out to put them together, yeah. you know? Um, and that's, I think I'm all, I'm looking for the, the chocolate and the peanut butter. I'm looking for the pineapple and the pizza. Like what's like two weird tastes that'll go well together. What's, you know, what's the overlap here, but also what's like, what, you know, when you add them together, what's the, what's the new thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think I think my work certainly um, it leans towards the familiar, but I think it's also it's it's like a way to like to get readers over that initial hurdle, you know, of of hesitance because you know it's like every time you sell something, it's it's a little bit like a con, you know, like <laughs> you have to you have to convince somebody to spend to drop their hard earned money on something sight unseen to see if they would like it. Um, so having that little bit of familiarity, that that, that touchstone, that that um, you know, people will be like, "Oh, I know the Boy Scouts," mm-hmm. you know. And then sometimes you have people who are like, "I was a Boy Scout. I would love to read something about the Boy Scouts." Yeah. Um, you know, and then you're able to sort of take those expectations and stab somebody in the back with them. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, be like, oh, you thought you knew the Boy Scouts. Let me show you, uh, let me show you what I can do to the Boy Scouts. Uh, you know, and I, I do that with, with, with all my books. Um, and if you can do it in a way that like, there are still like the characters, even if this, even if the high concepts are absurd, the characters themselves are like, well, this is the world I live in. Yeah. And these are the emotional things that happen to me because of this absurd world that I live in that they don't know is absurd. Um, that I think goes a long way to making these weird concoctions that I make in my, in my office, uh, palatable for, uh, for a larger audience. Yeah, and I think it, it kind of plays into like what we talked about earlier—that idea of subverting something that you kind of know. Yeah. 
like you know like yeah. what what's what's the hook for spencer and Locke? it's like well i mean it's what i pitched it as when i was pitching it to our audience that we're going to talk about it like you ever wonder what would happen if calvin and hobbs grew up and they became you know calvin became this grizzled noir detective but hobbs was still with him the, the, like... line, the log line that sold the book um and continues to sell the book um i always say is what if calvin and hobbs grew up in sin city oh um, that's perfect actually yeah that's that is um you know that is that is um, that is the the thing that I I, I I I probably say that hundreds of times at conventions every time. <laughs> yeah, I will uh, I will definitely know. be using that if I ever pitch yeah. the book to anybody. Yeah. It's like that's perfect. Um, you know, going to the chapel is um, <laughs> what if what if Die Hard met Wedding Crashers? Uh, the OZ is uh, what if Bad Max took place in the Wizard of Oz? And uh, you know, Scout's Honor is actually probably the longest logline, uh, which is. Uh, years after a nuclear war, a cult has risen from the ashes, and their Bible is an old Boy Scout manual. Yeah, it's true uh, though. Isn't it? It's a perfect hook for. I love it, Tom Levine, even in the chat saying that you and your hooks. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um, you know, I feel like if I don't have that hook, you know, um, then the idea is too complicated. Yeah, but that's uh, though. It's the elevator really pitch. It's the yeah. Like if you want to hit yeah. people on what your book is, it's that's the thing you always do. It's like, well, it's this meets this because like you want to give them an idea of like this is what you're getting in for. And like, are you a fan yeah. of this? Then you're going to like this. You know, it's yeah, yeah. You know, and and sometimes it's about just sort of talking about your influences. Um, I, I think I think Tom had actually asked me this on Twitter the other day, um, where you know, I, I, there are some people who just throw out random crap. Because they're thinking like, oh, you know, I can hook, you know, somebody who likes Mad Max, for example. But if that's not really like an influence to the book, you know, um, then it kind of becomes a little cheap, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. I think people can feel cheated very easily when you when you have those sorts of uh, 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 things. So, um, you know, I, I, I always try to be really careful with it. But figuring out, yeah, like what are the big influences? Like Grand Theft Astro, I, I always... <laughs> You know, I say it's uh, Fast and Furious meets Back to the Future in space, <laughs> um, and you know that's that's you know that probably boils it down pretty quickly. You know, is that you know you get a sense of oh, it's you know people who are driving fast spaceships, stealing things, and there's a time travel component to it. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I think you know once that book comes out, and believe me, it's killing me more than anybody that it's not yeah. out yet because it's been written for so long it's just sort of getting all the ducks in a row with the art um you know but when that book comes out it's going to be like something that all my spencer and Locke fans are gonna be like oh yeah i see that but anybody who liked the oz or anybody who likes scouts honor is gonna be like oh i see what he's doing with like bright sci-fi um and so yeah i i think um having a good hook for your book i think it helps kind of nudge the reader a little bit and it primes their expectations. And I know there are people who talk about death of the author and all that, but, um, you know, if I can sell the thing, you know, to somebody either, you know, through this interview or at a con or online, um, the marketing is like the last little bit of creative push I have. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Once it's in, once it's in the reader's hands, then yes, the, uh, the, the author is dead but if i can promote the book in such a way that their expectations are primed yeah absolutely. i think it's a way it's a way to get them I, I think it's the way a way not the way 
a way to help ensure they get the maximum enjoyment out of the book. It's like a trailer for the book. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, so you you're know. like, this is my vision for the book, and I'm trying to pitch you what, so you know where I was coming from in doing this. And yeah. It's like, it's that last, like you said, it's that last little pitch of, like, the book's there, the book's created, the book's out there for you to buy. It's like, but this is my yeah. last little creative influence to show you this is where I was going with it. This is what my intention yeah. was, you know? And yeah, yeah. I mean, you do it all the time, and people do that with everything. I mean, hell, we do that with our show. Like, yeah. you know, like even our tagline is like meant to get across, like, hey, we're the greatest streamers you've never heard of. You know, yeah. exactly. It's a, it's a rip on, like, you know, Booster Gold's like thing, the greatest hero you've never heard of, yeah. who's a massive, you know, to show that comic book influence and is a fan favorite. I'm, you know, I love that character. But at the same time, it's a show, hey, we're awesome. You've just not heard of us yet. Yeah, and it's like yeah. it's to get people thinking and talking and like and something that sticks with them because a blurb in the back of a book is never going to stick with someone as much as like you said like that tagline, you know like hey you know it's like Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sensei. That's going to that's going to stick with someone more than any blurb on the yeah. back. Like you know like that blurb is not going to stick in someone's head like off the bat, but you saying that is going to pitch it and they're going to know exactly what you're talking about and it's going to stick yep. with them. You know. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's an art just as much as a science, you know, and I think everybody's got their own way of, of pitching their books, you know, and I think it, it, it you know, it all kind of depends on who your target audience is and, and, you know, are you targeting people who are diehard comics fans? Are you dar targeting people who have no idea about anything with comics like I am? You know, um, artists have it very differently, you know, because artists, they don't have like a quick, easy one sentence pitch. But you have the visuals, you know, like you, you can see the sort of stuff that they're drawing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an ongoing process. And I think it's one that will simultaneously get easier and harder uh, the more books I have. Um, you know, I'm excited to get back to conventions. I'm, I'm uh, doing uh, Rose City um, in September. It's my first con back. And I will have um, five different books. Um, you know, uh, to, to have on my table, uh, potentially maybe even a little more if any, you know, I, I, uh, I participated in a, a couple of anthologies. Um, uh, and so if I get copies of those, you know, uh, by the time the con shows up, suddenly I have half a dozen books on my table and figuring out the best way to sell all of those simultaneously is going to be an interesting process. And it's really going to put my aspirations to the test of, mm -hmm. Baskin Robbins model, you know, uh, 31 flavors, something for everyone. Um, you know, that's something that I'm really excited about in theory. And I'm very curious to see how I will wind up implementing it in practice. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's a, that's building things at scale. That's the thing that I really want for my career. Maybe I sound a little bit more like a publisher than a writer, uh, which is the only way I could lose money faster than being a writer. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I think that's the aspiration. Um, mm. um, you know, you see people like Colin Bond, you see people like Rick Remender, you see people like Justin Jordan, where they are making their bones doing a lot of creator-owned stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how you stay relevant. That's how you stay in this career. And that's the thing that I really want to do uh, for my career uh, long-term. Yeah, and I think there's definitely a lot to be said for that, for the creator-owned elements of it. Even... You know some of the the big massive like comic book creators like if you only know them for like their like say their marvel and dc content like like you mentioned donny cates earlier if you only ever read his marvel stuff 
you're completely missing out on some of his best work because it's all our own stuff you know like it's something that pops the head right away is something like god country like yeah. if you've, you you know i mean that alone like is one of the best books that came out the year it came out and it's still talked about today and like if you've never read yeah. the creator own stuff you miss it and it's like there's this that's one of the reasons when we do our comic book club we do the indie comic book club is because there's these amazing books out there that people just yeah, don't know it's, exist it's a pendulum you know i think um you know a lot of people they find their voice and they do their most innovative work in the creator owned and indie scene and then they bring those those innovations and that voice and that talent to licensed books where they build up a bigger following and then the pendulum swings back and they mm-hmm. they go back to create around with that bigger audience and that bigger market and you can make the same argument about kickstarter versus uh the direct market where you know you bring you bring your people from the direct market to kickstarter mm-hmm. and then you build up your kickstarter community and you bring them back for something for the direct market and you swing back and forth and yeah. um yeah I, I think um you know it's a it's an ongoing process and i think for me i'm very impatient and comics as a whole has really had to teach me how to be a little bit more patient yeah. and realize that like even though readers are experiencing things on a month-to-month basis and maybe a book-to-book basis as a creator you need to be thinking year to year you know um you know figuring out okay this was my five-year plan this is what i've gotten out of the first five years what can i do in the next five years and what can i do in 10 years and you know um i want to be a 30 40 year man like you know like the dan slots and the grant morrisons of the world and um the only way you can do that is if you're thinking big picture and long term yeah absolutely absolutely i think that's important as well it's like you know to be delving forward into something especially this where it's all you know create our own stuff and it's all you know you your own boss essentially pushing these ideas forward and you're your own my boss is a jerk (laughs) (laughs) and it's like but yeah i think that's a definitely important thing and to kind of pull it back as we kind of start to wind down the podcast now um the last big book i did want to mention and talk about with you mentioning kickstarter is a perfect transition over to it is the OZ, which, if I'm right, is that your first Kickstarter book you've done? Or? My first Kickstarter. Um, we're we're hoping to uh, return to Kickstarter, uh, hopefully in the next month-ish. Uh, um, you know, we're uh, you know, Ruben Rojas is about halfway done drawing um, our double-sized second issue, so I nice. feel like we're in a spot that we can uh, that that we can launch. Um, we're in the process of getting those pages uh, colored and lettered right now, so we have something, some new stuff to show on the Kickstarter page. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so tell boy, us, tell I, us about the OZ then, because you kind of mentioned it earlier of like it's like a you know what if Mad Max took place and you know the Land of Oz. Yeah. It's like what's yeah. tell us about this book. You know this the first issue is out. It's a double sized issue. It's like we've got the link. We're going to throw it up in the chat in a second. You can literally go pick up issue one and be like on board at the ground floor here of like for the next Kickstarter. I, I will mail it to you personally if you if you buy a uh, one of the the print copies. Um, yeah. So so the OZ is um, it's about uh, Dorothy, the original Dorothy's granddaughter, who's um, also named Dorothy, and uh, she's a disillusioned Iraq War veteran. Um, who's come back home to take care of her grandmother uh, who's dealing with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. And, uh, you know, uh, Dorothy has seen some things from her time in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, she's just, she's kind of come home and she's really lacking 
direction and, and purpose. And, um, and uh, that's when the tornado hits. And she finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of Oz. Uh, and as we find out, um, when her grandmother killed the Wicked Witch of the West, it started a power vacuum not unlike Baghdad. You know, um, okay. Dorothy kills the Wicked Witch and then leaves. Uh, she convinces the Wizard of Oz to leave, and then she leaves. You know, it's, it's just all the power structures kind of fell at once. Mm. And so it turned into this, uh, this kind of battlefield called the Occupied Zone. Or as the locals call it, the OZ. And so uh, we're able to see, you know, a, a, a generation later, what happened to Oz uh, since the Wicked Witch's death. And we see how this disillusioned soldier, she sees a second chance to confront her past and get things right. Mm. Um, so we, we get to see kind of our own unique twists on the Wizard of Oz characters that everybody knows and loves. Um, you know, we have the Tin Man who, um, you know, he's been destroyed and rebuilt so many times that he's kind of been turned into this giant metal war machine. Nice. Um, you know, you've got uh, the, 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 our take on the Cowardly Lion, um, who's going to be, uh, you know, a big part of our second issue. Um, you know, down to, you know, what happened to the Scarecrow and what happened to the smartest man on Oz when sort of the world came kind of crumbling down all around him. Mm. Um, you know, and how, how, how would that affect somebody like that um, awesome. it's uh i think it's one of my best books uh, i i i think that it's a perfect companion piece to spencer and Locke. um you know it's it's the same sort of cloth but in a much bigger sense of scale yeah. you know i was able to tackle fantasy and war um you know in a way that the, the smaller scale of Spencer and Locke, the more intimate scale of Spencer and Locke would never allow. Um, and we've got some really fun uh, twists and turns coming. We've got some really fun action beats coming, uh, especially for part two as uh, uh, Dorothy goes on the quest for the silver slippers, uh, which are kind of the, the, the perhaps what would be considered a weapon of mass destruction in Oz. Wow. Um, because those, those silver slippers mean that you can cross dimensions. Yeah, and that means a war that has already sort of taken over the land of Oz could spill over somewhere else. Mm, that's um, really that's such a phenomenal concept. Like honestly, yeah. like hearing the pitch cool. of it, and and guys, the links there for the Kickstarter. Go to the Kickstarter alone and watch the video like presentation of it, and you'll get to see David talking about it on there. You'll get to see hear about the story, see some of the artwork. It's like I I watched that and I'm like, yeah, I need to pick this up. Like I've not had a chance to actually like purchase it yet, but I am going to. Like I need to get this and check it out. It's the story just sounds phenomenal. Like even just that concept, I I never thought about it before. Like within Dorothy being there in Oz, like the Wicked Witch gets killed, her sister's killed. Like right at the start of her arriving there, the wizard yeah. disappears. Yeah. So like three of the most like powerful people in Oz are just gone. On and there's yeah. nothing to take that place. And I'm like. Why would you assume that would go well? Like if yeah. the if the world has taught us anything, that never goes well. It just means someone else steps yeah. in to fill the power vacuum, and then, and yeah. I'm like, it's, it, I'm in. I need to know what happens. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was um, you know, it was it was definitely yeah. It was, it was one of those stories that I was just like, I um, I had been thinking I'd wanted to do a fantasy book for a while, and so I wrote down just a bunch of influences just to see you know what could I pull from. When I wrote down the Wizard of Oz, I just saw that word Oz 
And I was like, oh, what if that's an acronym? You know? And um, when I thought of Occupied Zone, it just kind of hit me like, oh, this is a war book. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, and, and, and just like Spencer and Locke, like the story kind of just immediately started unspooling from there where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I grew up, you know, I was in high school uh, during the invasion of Iraq, you know? And so you kind of see like, oh, like, you know, just because you, you, you know, it might feel like, like the, the emotional thing to do at the time, you know, take out, a, you know, a dictator with zero prejudice. But then, like, if you don't have, like, a, a plan and, like, a really good plan, mm-hmm. things fall apart. Yeah. And, um, and so that is some of the stuff that we, we explore in the OZ. And, and just kind of, you know, we, we, we tackle things from, you know, what, what would, you know, what is just warfare? You know, um, and what is considered unjust warfare, you know, things like um, like torture, for example, um, is, is brought up not in this next issue, but it'll be brought up in, in our third uh, and final double sized issue. Um, you know, it, it, there's there's a lot of fun twists and turns, a lot of characters um, taking some very unexpected, but I think organic twists to them. And so um, the OZ is one of my favorite books that I've written. Uh, I think probably second only to Spencer and Locke. And um, yeah, I just, you know, working with artist Ruben Rojas and colorist Whitney Kogar um, and letterer DC Hopkins, I really I could not be working with a better group of people, uh, especially for my first Kickstarter book, you know, which is it's harder. Um, you know, you have to handle all your own logistics. You know, you have to figure out printing. You have to coordinate all your own variant covers, um, which is a little bit more challenging you know, mm-hmm. doing it when you don't have a publisher attached. Um, you have to handle your own budget. You have to handle all the scheduling. Um, you have to make sure that all your production stuff works. That was really hard the first time around. Yeah. Now that I've done it, it's a lot less scary. Um, and I think having my team behind me was really important for all of that. Um, so yeah, we're very excited. Um, we're looking to launch the next Kickstarter, uh, hopefully in July um you know if i can kind of get my 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 ducks in a row and we get the the pages together in time we've got some really cool variant covers uh coming from this one um we're just getting the last colors on one of them now um but uh yeah we've got some really just some really fun stuff coming and uh, very excited uh for people to get to see what we have in store uh for 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 the next issue issue one was the quiet one um and so, <laughs> as always yeah issue two <laughs> is where we really get to we really get to tear the roof off uh in a big way especially when you get to see what we did with the lion um mm-hmm. who the tin man's my favorite character in the series just because of how ruben rojas designed him but ruben's favorite character is the lion nice. um, and so seeing the way that that ruben has drawn him in fact ruben even skipped some pages um drawing this issue because he's like i just want to draw the lion like i just want to draw that page with him in it real quick and i was like all right <laughs> Go for it. Uh, you know uh but yeah it's just um you know the whole team is really firing in all cylinders um i think we're going to come back with a vengeance uh for the second issue based on what i've seen already and uh, you know it's taken a little longer than i would like like i've said that's the hardest part about being in, in the comics industry is figuring out patience. And mm-hmm. especially during this last year, there were, we, we had some COVID related delays, which is part of the reason why the book 
you know, we haven't released yet. And we didn't want it to step on Scout's Honor. You know, we wanted to make sure the books had time to breathe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now that, you know, Scout's Honor is, you know, mostly wrapped uh, besides the trade, uh, which we'll be promoting at the end of the month, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, it's time, you know, to, 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 to bring this book out. And uh, we're at a pretty good spot now. We're at a pretty good critical mass. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for people to see what we've got for uh, for our next issue. It'll be worth the wait. Definitely. Um, awesome. And just want to shout out ads in our chat again saying it's like, I will be purchasing the OZ. It looks so awesome. So there you go. You've already got another person looking to pick it up. Uh-huh. Um, and and 100%, if he's probably already bought it. No one adds. He usually jumps on stuff like this. So I think it's right yeah. up his alley. Um, but, yeah, it sounds phenomenal. Like, And I, I can't wait to see what happens with this and very excited that you took the step into the kickstarter world and yeah took that brave step of like i'll handle all this myself and (laughs) it was a necessity um you know this was this was um you know it was during covid you know diamond had their shutdown Mm. um my i had a lot of friends who had had success with kickstarter um my friend charlie stickney from white ash uh, especially and the thing that got me to do it was he was like, you know, there's a whole demographic of people who only buy their comics on Kickstarter. They don't go to comics. They don't go to comic shops. And so you're missing out on a whole demographic of people, of really passionate readers who, you know, who will support your work. And um, I was blown away. Um, you know, being able to sort of have that Kickstarter audience and to bring them in together with people who followed from the direct market it's it's sort of uh, it's patching together a diaspora of comics readers and really inviting them to break bread at the same big table and uh, yeah. that's if you take anything out of this interview um i want to keep building a bigger table definitely absolutely and way to do it anything we can do to help build that by all means let us know it's like um your vision for what you're going to do you know the vision for what you want to do and reach out to people and show them hey there's a comic out there for each of you that's literally what we want to do with comics as well mm-hmm. to show that this is this is an amazing community that everyone can be part of and um, quick shout out into the chat thank you so much tom levine for that follow welcome to the comic clan thank you so much for dropping that follow on the channel and helping us towards that goal of 500 followers here on twitch we absolutely appreciate it thank you so much yes um but yeah i think that covers everything that I wanted. Did you have any other questions or anything you still had that you wanted to ask? I, I had a whole list of the questions, and I think all of them have been answered throughout, <laughs> throughout the conversation. So I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, because my laptop's at seven percent. Um, no, I I want to thank you guys for having me on the show, and thank you for everyone watching. Uh, you know, if if you want to follow me, um, you know, and what I'm up to, uh, you can follow me on Twitter um, and Instagram at Pepos D or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. You can also um, visit my website, davidpepos.com, uh, and subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at uh, bit.ly slash pepnews. Uh, I will have another uh, newsletter out, I believe, on Tuesday. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, that way you can sort of get looped in on the latest and greatest. Uh, one last thing is also I will be a part of the, uh, the Help Anthology on Kickstarter. It's launching, uh, I believe, on Tuesday. Um, it, uh, it's a benefit. Uh, it's an anthology benefiting the Hero Initiative. Uh, so I have a one-page story uh, set really at the beginning of the pandemic uh, with my buddy uh, Tony Donnelly from uh, Albert Einstein Time Mason and uh, my, my my friend and mentor Dave Dwanch, uh, the uh, co-writer of Jenny Zero. Um, so uh, definitely check it out and uh, bid heavy because uh, the Hero Initiative could really use it. 
absolutely awesome. that's awesome man thank you so much for shouting that out and um, all the links are there in chat for you to visit uh, David's website get his newsletter hit him up on his social media accounts um, and I'll also throw up again here's the links for all his comics that I could define so to pick up Spencer Unlocked Spencer Unlocked 2 going to the chapel um, to pick up Scout's Honor on Comixology at the moment um, just because it is in the single issues or you can go to your local store for that and then of course the Kickstarter page for the OZ issue 1 which 100% you guys should be picking that up I'm definitely going yes. to be we will definitely be that up. <laughs> but a massive thank you for coming on the show, David. Oh, this yes. has been thank such so a blast much, to talk to you. It's been so much fun to connect with you and get to delve into these amazing stories. And uh, maybe we can even have you back on the show in the near future when some more of your stuff starts to drop and we can delve into some more of the upcoming stuff. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. And thanks so much for taking the time. And thank you for our support. Thank yep. you for everyone out there watching. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you need to head off since you said your laptop is dying, by all means, you can <laughs> duck out and we can go. Thank you guys very much. I'm going to head out. Um, thank you again for having me. Yeah, no yeah thanks again, man. Thank you so much, David. You Have take care. One. Have an awesome day. All right. Thank you so much, Comic Clan, for joining us today. This has been absolutely Well, phenomenal. that was awesome. That was an amazing <laughs> conversation with him. And I, I'm not going to lie. Like, there was so many other questions and so many other things. And, like, I kind of wanted to delve into it. And, like, we just honestly just ran out of time on the show. Like, I could have... But at the same time, like, nothing was a wasted time. There were great conversations, great delving yeah. into with... He could not have been more generous with his conversation. Yeah, think. he was absolutely awesome. This was so much fun. And... 100% guys go and check out these awesome comics like I've Dude. so far I've read Spencer and Log and Scout's Honor I am so excited to pick up the OZ Dude uh, I'm not gonna lie when he was talking about OZ like he was talking about what would happen with the power vacuum I'm like dude I didn't even think about that Yeah that, that had a cool concept But for now that is it for us we are gonna head off y'all have an absolutely amazing Sunday Take you care guys, enjoy, your, enjoy your evening if you're you know if you're not in the States and you're elsewhere and it's later in the night or morning, enjoy your full day ahead. But thank you so much, Em. Awesome. First piece was epic. Still I'm blown away by the job you did. Absolutely chunky. You did an amazing job in that first piece. Um, Thanks, man. But we love absolutely all of you. You all take care. Have an amazing day. And I will see you all again tomorrow. And remember, Adios, it's a good week to be a geek. And you are burdened with glorious porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you've not caught the start of the show when I messed up that and we ended up talking about Glorious Porpoise, that's going to really confuse you, but you are burdened with Glorious Purpose, people. Remember yeah, I'm that. Went, I almost went nasal on that. That was hilarious. <laughs> we'll see so y'all take care and we will see you later. See you guys. See everybody.